I'm going to need one of you to introduce it because <laughs> the theme song usually plays over someone talking. So I'm going to need someone to say a thing. Right. Um, that's the worst thing I've ever heard in my uh, life. Uh, sorry, listeners. Welcome back to the Fun Filter Podcast. <laughs> um, well, Jordan's had a nervous breakdown brought on by isolation. Okay, we're done with that. Um, that flute raped my ears. This is rubbish. What? What, the flute? No, no, I got a piece of paper here. Right. It's supposed to tell me... Well, you can read it there. Preliminary supposition for a good play of the recorder. Yeah, so it sort of outlines, like, what notes, what holes you have to cover to create certain notes. Is supposition a musical term? Uh, <laughs> probably not. I don't know. What a bizarre way to phrase that. Yeah. Preliminary supposition, what was it? Uh, preliminary supposition for a good play of the recorder. So, so the, <laughs> from that, I kind of like, like, this isn't going to teach you how to play it. This is like a cheat sheet, basically. So you sound basically okay. How long have you had but, that recorder, George? But supposition. So it's saying these are some things you should suppose before you play the recorder. Oh, no, I, I, I'm a uh, replacement. I thought it meant by, su- by, by supposition. But that's not what supposition means. That's How, what I what, what would replacement mean in that context? Well, like like I said, this isn't going to teach you how to be able to play the recorder. You obviously can't play the recorder. Right. Because you don't have a musical bone in your body. That's why you own a recorder. Oh, but right. this is, this is uh, by supposition, it's like, this is like what you need to do to sound like you can play the recorder. No, supposition just means, I suppose, something. It's a supposition. Right, okay. How bizarre. Is, is that trying to be like, um, you know, get like cookie branding where occasionally they'll just like write silly things on Coke, bolt, Coke cans? I don't know. The like rest that. of it's pretty dry. It's, <laughs> it's pretty dry, is it? Yeah. It's not a fun read. No. So unless that's the joke, <laughs> like the title's kind of a bit like, oh, this is a thing. And then the rest yeah. of it is very technical, like dry. But I mean, the rest of it's in foreign. So I don't know if that's <laughs> it's in foreign. part of the joke. I say it because I've no idea what language. There's there's two dots over the O. What language is that? German. You do get okay. it in German, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. No, actually, yeah. There are some Usually letters in here which are very clearly German. They have German. like a little flag by the side, George. What? Well, how, so you, how? Usually with those things, they have like a little flag by the side or the name of the country. Do you see? Do you do you see a flag? Well, Eddie? then don't buy a recorder for <laughs> from the pound shop. I well, didn't. How, how, I found how, it in the house and I was like, right, that's the intro to the podcast. Okay. <laughs> how diverse are umlauts? Because you get them in German. Yeah. Um, you get them, I think it's, are they in Swedish as well? Or Norwegian? I'm sure that they're, they're somewhere. No idea. Absolutely oh, yeah, no idea. Sweden maybe. You get a B. There's that weird B that Germans have where it's sort of like, well, it looks like a B, but it's not a B. I think it's like a double S sound. A double, a, oh, I, I know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think that's purely a German thing. This yeah, is this is, is irrelevant. Yeah. This is like this this is going on way too long. Sam, you, you're Eddie. the one who started by playing the fucking recorder. Yeah, I thought we'd be done with fine, whatever. <laughs> Sam, Eddie, what yes. have you been up to? Hello, welcome to the podcast. How have you been up to, guys? <laughs> oh, this is a shambles. I love it. <laughs> um Well, I well, I think by the time this comes out, like a month ago, I appeared on uh James Humphrey's Past from the West. Uh, podcast. Okay. Mm, um, rival podcast. Rival po- Well, 
a friend podcast now, right? An ally no, podcast. No, all podcasts are rival podcasts. All podcast, yeah, I suppose. We're not going to get that's, very that's far. The, that's the we're way you look at everything. No, everything in the same far. field as you, you have to is a rival. With, no, you have to work with other podcasts to grow. That's how you do it in this industry. No, they are the enemy, Eddie. No, no. Listen, I... That's why ex- we've only got five listeners, George. <laughs> I existed in the Cardiff theatre scene for two years. You have to pretend to be friends until <laughs> until you're victorious. Um, no, well, oh yes, anyway, so I was on that podcast and I was put into a position where I had to weigh myself. Uh, so I did right. weigh myself. And f- like putting a number to the feeling, uh, that inspired me to diet. And so the one I, I kept hearing about, like I heard it on three separate streams on the same day, so I thought it must be like a sign, was the ketogenic diet. And so yes. I thought, right, I'll give that a go. But have you seen the ketogenic diet? It's barbaric. I haven't even is it heard the one? It. Yeah, yeah. Is it the one I'm thinking of? Where it's like no carbs. It's absolutely no carbs, like yeah, no yeah. sugar, no sweetener, nothing like that. Uh, no condiments. It's just vegetables and meat. <laughs> that's basically all it is. Um, <laughs> Which is not. That's not a terrible like. No, I know, you know. That, but you can't even eat cereal. You know what I mean? Okay. It's just not worth that's, it. That is tragic. Yeah. So I looked at it and I just thought, nah. I'm just going to eat less bread. <laughs> just going to go back to my Chinese and my pizzas. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm just eating less bread. <laughs> that's my, that's all I'm doing. Okay. A um, concession to yeah. being fit and healthy. That's all I've done, basically. Uh, okay. Well, yeah, this whole um, being in lockdown thing, it's not as sort of exciting as I thought it would be. Did you think it would be exciting? Well, I don't know. You see like videos of people online who are like, you know, oh, I've learned. I'm learning a new language, or I've like you know the Rubik, not Rubik's cubes, what they called Rube, Rube Goldberg. Yeah, tons of like Rube Goldberg machines, and like people are being like you know, oh now I have all this time, I'm doing this like interesting stuff, and then we're just here like you know, oh I'm eating less bread. But you can't you can't say that you can't say lockdown is less interesting than I thought it would be because I'm not doing anything interesting. <laughs> you, that's not that's no excuse. Yeah. Okay. Do you are less interesting than I thought you would be in lockdown. Is that a, is that a better? No. Way of do something more interesting with your time then. I can't. I've got things to do. But you guys, what are you been? What are you doing? But I'm not bored. I've been yeah. I've been writing all week. Okay. Anything good? Well, I'd like to think so. I wrote forty well, pages not, in two it's days. Not, it's not his to say, <laughs> is it? It's not his place to say. I mean, to I'll be, be I'll be the judge of that. I'll say yeah. To be fair, Sam, I'm definitely going to send it to you as soon as it's done. So okay. All right. Well, yeah, I'll, I'll review it on the next podcast then. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, well, by the time this comes out, I'll have shaved my head, so that'll be fun. Oh. Why are you doing that, Eddie? Why Why are you giving in? Why am I giving in? I'm not giving in. It's called I Hate How Long My Hair Is. I'm wearing a hat just walking around the house. But everyone's doing that, right? Everyone's shaving their heads. Yeah, yeah because the barbers are closed and it's a great yeah. idea. Well, if you say so. <laughs> so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm literally in the process of choosing a shaver and then as soon as it arrives, I'm going to shave my head. What's Save wrong that. with shaving your head, George? What's wrong with shaving your hair? Yeah. Because my hair is all I've got. That's like the one part of me that's like, you know, it's just all right. If, if you say so. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not good. But compared to the rest of me, it's like, okay, there's some, um, yeah, that can be somewhat salvaged. Okay. All right. I just have this brilliant image of you looking in the mirror every day and go, I've got hair. <laughs> I've still got the hair. It's not over yet. Yeah. Okay, well, we've we've all watched um, Beastie Boy Story. Yep. Is that what it's called? Yeah, it's, it's called, called Beastie, Beastie Boy, Boy Story. Story. I c- yeah, I kept forgetting the name of it. It's not the best name, is it? Well, I mean... Usually they go for, like, either, like, a song, like, one of the more famous songs that the band has done, mm. although that tends to be biopics. 
But like Montage of Heck, which is the Nirvana documentary, mm-hmm. like where did that come from? That was a Cobain generated. I think name, it was. It? I think it was either a like an early mixtape that he made, and he called it Montage of Heck, or it was a just a phrase that he wrote in his diary. It's definitely okay. one of those two. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's a good. That's a good title. Yeah, it's, it's not the best title, but it kind of works for the format of the film. I yeah, think. which I suppose is sort of the main thing to talk about when you're talking about the Beastie Boys story. Yeah. Because in terms of the progression of information that's sort of delivered to you over the course of the documentary, mm. it's very standard band documentary, isn't mm-hmm. it? It's yeah. sort of, these were our early days. These are, this is when we started to get famous. This is when we hit the lull. This is when we sort of reascended. Mm-hmm. And then where they we just are now. casually don't t- talk much about the last three albums. But like, but you know, band documentaries or band biopics, they're seldom made, well, by the band. They're third parties, sometimes in association with a band, sometimes not. Generally speaking, when the band is involved, I tend to get a bit sceptical. Well, yeah, because this is what's interesting about it. This is a, this documentary is a recorded stage show Mm. with sort of stock footage and like pictures spliced into it. Mm. And the stage show is conducted and presented by the uh, remaining Beastie Boys. Yeah. Yeah. It's basically a high quality PowerPoint. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't don't know about you guys, but for me, I I was surprised just how much that worked for me. Yeah. I Mm. don't know. It's sort of like as they were, um, because I'm not too familiar with Beastie Boys. I know the big songs. No, nor am I. That's my, I'll, the opposite of a bias. That's my my ignorance is I'm basically coming to this band as a total outsider. Yeah. But sort of being exposed to, but that's it. um, But sort of having been exposed to this stuff through the documentary, the format that the documentary took sort of makes sense for them. Yeah. It kind of fits their, um, their style where it felt like it was very like okay what do we have at our disposal well not just that but all the fact they're such a um iconoclastic band yeah and they always sort of did whatever they the hell they wanted to it would be weird if they weren't telling their own story yes know? yeah yeah um like if kurt cobain was alive i mean it's a stupid thing to say that if he was alive there'd be no montage of heck but i feel like if he was alive no documentary like that would have been made about him because it's Kurt Cobain. He has a very distinctive voice. Now that yes. voice is gone, it's okay to make your own, mm. you know, but you can't really do that when they were around. And so, and, and also the fact that, you know, the, the third member of their band uh, passed away a few years ago. And so to get their personal response and take on that was nice. Yes. Well, yeah, so it's it's a PowerPoint and then kind of interrupted by... There's a lot of footage of them just kind of back and forth and telling the story, kind of tag teaming it. Yeah. But then occasionally they'll sort of reenact scenes. Like not Yeah, like, they're, yeah. they're almost like um, miniature, like when you watch like a stand-up gig and the stand-up is sort of goes, they sort of go into a character yeah. in order to deliver the material. It's sort of like that, where it's like almost a live action sketch where like, yeah, they'll sort of like, they'll say like, oh, we were walking down the street and then they'll like go to the back of the stage and like a uh, footage of a street will appear behind them and they're sort of pretending to walk on the spot. Yeah, yeah. And like, you know, oh, this is what we were thinking in this moment. So there's moments like that where they sort of like, yeah, they're not literally just on stage going, this is what happened, this is what happened. Yeah. They are sort of making it feel like a show, you know, because it, it is, a, it's a live show recorded well, in front of yeah. the I mean, audience. yeah, it's a, it's a live show they did around the US. Yeah, yes. it toured as well. Yeah, yeah. it toured, yeah. I mean, it's very innovative. Like Spike Jones directed it. And yeah. yes. It's that th- it reminded me of working in theatre where it's right, you have no, this is not the case with them, obviously, but you have no money. Mm. What do you do to make something tedious interesting? 
Yes. Um, on a stage. And little things like, yeah, just putting stock footage of a street behind them and they're just kind of pretending to walk up yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. That's how you do that, you know? And yeah. and them doing little impersonations and things like that. And I was worried that them telling their own story, because it is it is written, I know that's obvious, but if, if it's written in the sense that it doesn't feel particularly loose and rift. Like, it's phrased occasionally uh, as if you're reading an autobiography. And then, of course, yeah. we had the years where this happened. But it never felt too artificial. It, uh, but it never felt irreverent, but it felt like just enough. I didn't roll my eyes when that happened. You know? I think their delivery really is really what sells it. Yeah. I wouldn't say their delivery is completely natural. There are moments where it's sort of like, it's clear. It Obviously, because it has accompanying graphics as well, but it's sort of clear like, okay, this was a moment that was rehearsed. Well, yeah. But it I doesn't, mean, you don't feel it. You don't feel like, um, it doesn't feel stiff. It kind of yeah. feels like they're... Uh, they're clearly playing to their strengths and they have a sense of humor to them anyway. They've yeah. always had a sense of humor to them. Yeah. So that kind of performance. Actually, it was interesting because the heavy metal guy that they mentioned in the documentary that sort of brought them into Def Jam Records. Yeah, Rick Rubin. Yeah. Rick Rubin, who didn't stay with them, right? He was the guy who sort of screwed them over after. Yeah, by, yeah, by their own. By their um, own, yeah, whatever. Lights, yeah. Um, But when they said that like he was uh, really into like um, professional wrestling mm. and then they show like an interview that he conducted where he was like being all like big and boisterous and it felt very professional wrestling. Yeah. It was like, oh, okay, that makes a lot of sense. Yes. So he kind of brought that sort of... Um, that keyfabe element to the Beastie Boys where they're like posturing and they're like, yeah. you know, oh, we're the best and we're like, you know, mm-hmm. if that does, that element does feel very pro wrestling. So they are natural performers. They are. And I think that really helps. It's a really good idea that they've, that the, the documentary is basically them on stage, quote unquote, performing. Yeah. And they haven't performed since the death of Adam, have they? No, they call it quits. Yeah. I really respect that. And I respect well, I was sort of surprised by the fact, like I said, I've never, I've never seen an interview with the Beastie Boys. I haven't really seen anything about, uh, with them. Yeah. So, but when you're seeing footage of them when they were younger and the kind of stuff they were doing, it's surprising to me as I, I it was surprising as I was watching it, that they're so cogent and down to earth on stage. Oh yeah. Like I, I know like that that's a function partially of age, but yeah, they're talking about it in quite lucid almost objective terms occasionally and they just seem like two regular guys they're not being you mad do on sort stage. of forget i don't know about you guys but there were a couple of instances where i sort of forgot that the people on stage were the same people in the footage we were seeing yeah totally they just looked like yeah. guys you at know? times yeah, yeah. but at yeah. times when they were trying to say words that were a bit too young for them to say oh yeah when they when they were sort of slipping back into that sort of rap language yeah it was a bit yeah like, oh, okay they yeah they, all right it, yeah, just, you're it, just an older it, version you know, of that guy it well it's not even just that it, it was me sat there going this just feels like my dad trying to be cool <laughs> because i've invited him to a q a of something right you know i mean yeah because you've yeah. got the whole thing of obviously they've got the teleprompter in the background yeah which yeah very clearly you know, it's just there in case they forget what part they're talking about rather than actually being a teleprompter. Yeah, they're not they're reading, reading from off. the teleprompter. Yeah, you, yeah. they're clearly not like reading it's being read out at all. The only thing for me, like watching it, I don't know if... Did either of you watch the bloopers that are at the end post-credits? Yes. Uh, yes. Yeah. I think it's a shame that those were bloopers and not part of the show because I found those really quite funny and I was like, if those had just been sort of spliced in as like parts of the show yes but then i think you run the risk of creating this artificial sense of realism almost yeah because like, you are... get that a lot now with like um reality tv shows like britain's got talent and the x factor a couple of years ago all of a sudden they all started like 
showing like behind the scenes segments and they started to feel like keeping in um members of the crew if they were like speaking to people off camera they kept in that to sort of make it feel more real you know it's the mrs brown's boys school of presentation isn't it yeah exactly if you if you sort of put too much of that in then even the bloopers start to feel deliberate and that kind of that can have a a bad effect on the audience where they start to invest less in it yeah but i think i suppose i think for me i think i probably would have enjoyed it more i did i really enjoyed it i found Mm. it really interesting yeah yeah, um, yeah. But I think I would have enjoyed it more if what I was getting to see was the live show that they actually did and not the edited version of the live show. Well, we did. It didn't feel... There were like one or two instances where it would cut to another angle and their head was in a slightly different position. But other than that, it, it holds together very well. It does feel yeah. like we're seeing a complete show, you know? And they did keep in the odd... I mean, they did keep in the odd mistake or blooper. I don't know how yeah. rehearsed they were, but where they forgot who was reading what off the teleprompter and that sort of thing. Yeah. So yeah. I guess had you had too many of those, it would have started to feel a bit... Well, e- even even if not artificial, then unprofessional, you know? Yeah, um, but I mean, like, that would be fine. I guess. I think that would also fit the Beastie Boys. But yeah, but... It's, it's, it's more that sense of, I'm worried that if you put too many bloopers in then yeah, even if the audience aren't conscious of it, then they would go like, oh, okay. This well, it like- depends on your level of initiation as well. I mean, like when we've gone to see stand-up comics, things that appear to be mistakes or them fumbling, you can bet money on that being part of the act. And yeah. that's because we're into it. I don't know, this might sound snotty, I don't know. I don't know what the average movie or theatre goer, if they would think, oh, these bloopers must be rehearsed i i don't know how right you know i don't I, know i suppose but, um, yeah, yeah. what i think I, you know when i'm talking about like the, some of the bloopers and stuff like the bit with which is you've got like ben stiddler and steve buscemi in that mm. yeah that For me was i weird. was like looking at it and going right so there's a little bit of this show that they've cut out because obviously it's all about the same album and there's no equivalent to it in the documentary because yeah, yeah. initially it's just like oh david cross was at this show so they were like, oh, they did a thing. But then it, they do it with Ben Stiller and Steve Buscemi. So I it's like, right, this is clearly a yeah, bit. Yeah, I suppose that was, they were performing in different cities. And if someone famous was coming to the show, they would give them that little bit to do. But because it wasn't pervasive enough, they didn't count it as part of the canon of the documentary. Yeah. So, and also, who would you choose, you know? I suppose. So I guess, yeah, if you happen to be, it's like a theatre show or a stand-up show. If there's like someone famous in the crowd... I'll talk about them. I'll talk to them that evening, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know about you. I, just, I I obviously know nothing about Steve Buscemi personally. I was just quite surprised that he's a Beastie Boys fan. You don't, <laughs> don't really expect it of Steve Buscemi. Do Ben Stiller I get, uh, David Cross I get. You just don't, yeah. you don't think of Steve Buscemi as being a Beastie Boys Well, what the hell is Steve Buscemi, you know? He's in stuff like yeah. uh, Boardwalk Empire and The Sopranos, but he's also in Grown Ups too. He's everything know? Steve Buscemi, isn't he? He's just yeah. kind yeah, of yeah, everything. He's kind of brilliant in that respect because, yeah, he's just literally anything. He's tall chameleon, which is odd for how weird he looks. Yeah, he doesn't have the <laughs> face that would lend itself to a I can sort of belong anywhere kind of quality. But then again, yeah. maybe, then again, maybe it does because he such, has such a distinctive look. Like he always stands out, whatever he's in. That's true. But I suppose like you'd, you'd expect him to get typecast as like your Garland Greens from Con Air, But that's the look he has, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, bug-eyed sort of weirdo serial killer sort of guy. <laughs> yeah. But I don't, I've never really seen him do anything else like that, actually. Okay. He does sort of do everything. He's a, I think the weirdest thing I've seen him in is the film called The Messenger. And that's because, you know, he's part of Adam Sandler's little troupe. Like he's just yeah. in every Adam has. So you expect that. He's um, a favourite of the Coens, 
and he's worked with Scorsese and you know um, and Tarantino but he gets around doesn't he um, yeah. well, so he's in those he's like big great, favourite Hollywood he is oh yeah he's uh, you know a great indie character actor but he's in a film called The Messenger and The Messenger is just a very naturalistic drama about a uh, the, the soldiers that go and tell family members when their loved ones have died in combat Right. They're the ones who go to live in it. Uh, it's Ben Foster and Woody Harrelson. And he's in that as just a dad of a kid who's killed. Okay. And it's a totally just normal dramatic performance. Like, oh, but why have you got Steve Buscemi to do that? <laughs> but that for me was like the the final stamp of approval that was like, oh, he can, he can do anything. He doesn't yeah. just have to be in these distinctive idiosyncratic indies or these broad comedies. He can just be in a drama playing a guy. Yes. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's a weird little Steve Buscemi tangent. So that's, yeah, thumbs up on Steve Buscemi. <laughs> oh, definitely. I think he's the most featured actor in my DVD collection. Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> yeah, fair Though fair that, may have, that may have gone down after I destroyed my copy of Armageddon. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, is that um, everything we had to say about Beastie Boys story? Yeah, all it's, all it's yeah. done is just made me realise how sad I'll be when Steve Buscemi dies. Well, don't say that now. <laughs> why, are you, why are you saying that why do, no it's like I didn't realise it until because not like I know but until that moment I didn't realise oh yeah it'll be a loss when Steve Buscemi goes <laughs> as opposed to anybody else I mean it'll uh, no but like you know there were certain actors like when Philip Seymour Hoffman died it was like oh that's that's yes, terrible yeah. that's a genuine loss yeah uh, Heath Ledger as well but that's different because he was he died before his time well so did Hoffman to be fair also Hoffman, but Hoffman yeah. had sort of had a bit more of a career than yeah. Ledger was able to. Yeah. Um, but yeah, when Steve Buscemi goes, they'll be like, oh, we lost someone really good today. Because not only that, he was uh, not only a great actor, he was a volunteer firefighter on 9-11, wasn't he? Oh shit, yeah, I completely forgot about yeah. that. Yeah. What, what a bloke. <laughs> the Steve, what a man. Steve Buscemi <laughs> Appreciation <laughs> Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, if that's what we are, I'm happy to go by that. Yeah. We're just going to do that from here on out. I love the old, uh, the old Bushy. Okay, shall we move on to the Midnight Gospel then? Right. Oh, okay. God, then. Right. Now, uh. as you guys know, I watch everything. Yes. Uh, and so I, I had, I knew the Midnight Gospel was coming up for a while. I had no idea what it was other than it was an animation. And I watched the first episode and decided that I wasn't going to watch anymore. Okay. And then, Eddie, you started talking about it. And then it, it was flagged as a potential conversation topic for the cast. So I thought, right. I'll just get through it then. And I saw three episodes and I refuse to watch any more. Okay. Which is big for you. Which is big for me. And we'll talk about that. But, uh, so should we give a brief little synopsis of what the Midnight Gospel is? Um, Who wants to do that? It's a trippy cartoon, which is about a pod, a space caster, a podcaster called Clancy. And basically every time he interviews someone, there's also a story going on, which is usually apocalyptic. Yeah. He has this, like simulation machine basically right alternate yeah, yeah. universe machine and he can go to any of these alternate universes in different as an uh, av- avatars yeah yeah and just interviews someone about uh life uh, or the cosmos or happiness as things are happening in the background yeah. yes so the episode one the format it takes is because um the show is co-created i believe by Pendleton Ward, who's the guy behind Adventure Time, yes, and yes. by Duncan Trussell. Yes. Yeah, he's a he's a stalwart of the Joe Rogan podcast. Right, yeah. okay. Yeah, and he has his own podcast called the Duncan Trussell Family Hour, I think it mm. is. Yep. And what the what they've done with the Midnight Gospel is they've extracted uh, segments of conversations that he's had on that, those, that podcast, mm-hmm. and he's put them into the Midnight Gospel. 
and the stories of the episodes and the narrative of the show is sort of built around the core of those com- like those conversations are at the core of the show yeah and the show is kind of built around them and the episodes are kind of built that, around them yeah that well. was something i was good that's because up until you made that point in a conversation we were having i did not realize that it was just taken from his own podcast it's yeah it's the actual raw audio is it yeah well that's the thing there are moments i think he has said in interviews that he they lifted conversations straight from the podcast i yeah. think i looked i looked it up today it is literally just taken from the episode yeah they have done that but there are moments where it does sort of feel like they've re-recorded it because it sort of fits too neatly into the episode around it yeah because like like there will be a moment where the character he's interviewing will start participating in the story and it's very clearly not something that they would say on a podcast. It even sounds different mm. to how they've been talking when they're on the podcast. So I don't know whether they brought people in to re-record lines so it would fit more neatly into the episode. I mean, probably. Well, it's it's kind of a, in a way, a bad fellow of, uh, like Eddie was talking about on the podcast, verbatim theatre. It's sort of in the same school as that, but it, yeah. where you kind of have to adopt a dramaturgical relationship to the, to the text, where it's like, okay. y- you have all this stuff, now you've got to structure it into a half-hour... 26 minute conversation yeah but yeah so it is just the actual audio yes right okay yeah which actually for me it was quite a letdown once i realized that was the case because quite frankly i probably would just listen to his podcast well you know what that's exactly that's my main problem with the show yeah is was there a thing you were going to say before i do i I was just going to say that um the ricky gervais podcast the ricky gervais show with Steve Merchant and Carl Pilkington, when they released their podcasts initially, there was a YouTube fan who made little animations to go along with their conversations. Yeah. And then that gave birth to the animated Ricky Gervais show, which was done in a similar manner. But if you watch that show, it's okay, but it is basically just Carl Pilkington speaking with animatics, you know, displaying what... Yeah. And it is it is basically redundant, especially mm. when you can get two hours well, of yeah, because mm. To give you an example of the Midnight Gospel, so episode one is a conversation about drug use while a zombie apocalypse happens. Yeah. Oh, yeah. What is it with Pendleton Wars and making the first episode of a TV show a zombie apocalypse? Because Adventure Time, the first episode of, of Adventure Time is a zombie apocalypse episode. And I don't so want to diss... Adventure Time because I'm not that familiar with it and I know it, no, it's neither am I. I know it's well loved but it's like the go-to weird thing. Oh man, it's a zombie. Zombies are so in vogue at the moment. And yeah, well they I'm, have been for years. Yeah, um, I'm so fucking bored of zombies. Oh yeah, <laughs> I'm so Literally, bored of them. Yeah, 100. percent It's reached the point for me where saying you're bored of zombies is boring. Because it, it yeah, feels yeah. like it's sort of like with superhero fatigue. It feels like for years people have been saying like oh, superhero fatigue is coming. We're going to get hit with superhero fatigue. Mm-hmm. And like that that conversation itself has now become boring mm-hmm. because it's been going on for so long. Mm-hmm. Uh, same with zombies. But yeah, sorry, Eddie, I interrupted. I, I can't remember where I was at. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> no, but like, yeah, it's, the, the thing with the big... So that's like, you know, the first episode, you know, and that is basically the entire format of this show. Like, yes. there's one episode where there's a problem with his simulator, so he doesn't actually go through the simulator, but he still has a conversation, and it's, like, a little bit different, but not really. That is the best episode, though, episode six, where he, um, the the podcast conversation doesn't start until about two-thirds into the episode, and yes. because it happens for such a short uh, portion of the episode, they have to actually integrate it into the story, because at this point in the episode, the story is sort of hitting its stride. Mm. Um, and I think the point of that episode is Clancy has like anger problems where he's struggling with his anger mm-hmm. 
And that's sort of perpetuated by the fact that his alternate reality machine is sort of broken down and he can't visit any parallel worlds. So he sort of goes to visit his neighbours and then that leads to him finding out how he can fix his alternate reality machine. But by this point, he's just infuriated. So his computer that controls the alternate reality machine sends him to go see like this guru to help him like work through his anger. Mm. So whereas most of the episodes, and this is my main problem with the show, is that it feels like the podcast conversations and the episodes, the story of the episodes, are both happening alongside each other rather than the two of them being interwoven. Yeah. Like, it feels like the show is flipping a switch. It's like, now we're a podcast. Now we're a show. Well, now we're a podcast again. It's a show that's indifferent to itself. It, it, okay. It, it, it does feel like something transposed on top of something irrelevant. It's like um, uh, playing uh, Pink Floyd's Money over the Wizard of Oz. It just, like, happens to fit. Right. You know what I mean? It's kind of... Right. I, let me just go off my rant, okay? Okay. So, okay. so at the Emmys a few years ago, I think it was... Um, a joke was made that a comedy series is now just a drama that's half an hour long. Okay. Because, yeah, half-hour comedies have been infected by, like, this transparent uh, girls kind of... They're sort of like little indie films uh, rather than out-and-out comedies. And I hate this, like, cult of California self-examination and self-improvement, like meditation and mindfulness. A few years ago, someone said to me, I don't have room in my life for self-hate right now. And that kind of epitomizes uh, the mindset of this sort of stuff. Where it's like, who talks like that? You're not a person. You're like, oh, right. (laughs) So one of the things that sums up the show for me is um, in the first episode, he says to the president, I know you're busy right now with the zombie apocalypse, but can we, like, have a chat? It's this this casual tone where you're supposed to go, like, oh, man, isn't it, like, weird how we're talking about an apocalyptic scenario and discussing it like it's an everyday thing? Isn't that really... Yeah. Um, and I hate this mumblecore thing in animation. This dweeby wallflower as the main character. Just, Fuck off. Like, I wouldn't want to hang out with you if you were a person. I don't... I don't <laughs> want to, like, spend my time being entertained by you. Well, yeah, just, the show, um, it very quickly, it sort of felt like early Rick and Morty to me. Mm. Sort of like Rick and Morty without the, the sort of the snark or the edge, quote-unquote, that mm. Rick and Morty has, because they'll have, like, these wacky adventures, but it's also kind of like, you know, Rick is... A, the main character, Rick, is a dickhead. Yeah. And the show sort of, like, it has moments of like where it's sort of trying to be nihilistic where you know there's that episode where they uh morty cronenberg's his own universe they have to go Mm. to an alternate reality where they've died and they have to bury their own bodies and that kind of fucks morty up a little bit Mm -hmm. there's nothing like that it's sort of like they've they've taken all of that like edge out of it and they've just taken the universe hopping premise from rick and morty Mm. but it even sounds a bit like justin roiland a little bit it does because i didn't know going in that it was part podcast part animated tv show but that's sort of what gave it away was just like it felt the delivery of the delivery of everything felt very improvised. So initially I thought, oh, this is just another one of those like, you know, we've loosely scripted it, but the whole show is basically improvised. But then from mm. that, I found out it was a podcast. Yeah. I was like, oh, OK. But that's the annoying thing about it, that improvised tone, because that's not unique to this show. Yeah. Yes. And I'm sure they think that's the appeal. A normal conversation. Well, not a normal conversation, but a pretentious conversation playing out over an incidental surrealism like oh man the people are gonna love that it's gonna be so crazy man it's gonna be so so there's that line i think it's the third maybe it's the second episode where they're talking about love and then they're interrupted by one of them saying oh fuck that kid just took my eyeball like that's meant to be a hilarious yeah it it appeals to a certain type of person Mm. that would think that's brilliant and i just find it incredibly grating and irritating right okay the the thing for me is because they've taken what's a 
you know, from the podcast they've taken it from, they've taken like the profound conversation moments. Yeah. And then they've slapped it across this animation, which is done in a sort of like trippy way. And to me, I like felt like as I, you know, as it's sort of going along, the one thing I did feel was the whole point of this is if I was on something, I would be going, oh my God. Wow. Mm. Yeah, but that that's another annoying thing, isn't it? That thing yeah. uh, uh, every animation gets now, which is, oh, they must have been on drugs making this to begin. You know, some people are just creative. It's not that hard to conjure up these visual no. landscapes. It's You don't have to be intoxicated to imagine those sorts of things. And also, yeah. let's face it, drugs are boring. They, they are. Drugs are boring. Talking about food and drugs and exercise is boring. I'm sorry, it just is. I think the problem is not that they're talking about drugs, it's that they're talking about drugs in the same way that drugs are always talked about. Yes. Right. This feels very stereotypical trippy. Mm. And that was sort of one of the things that... It gets a bit more out there as the show goes on. Right. Like episode five, I think it is. Like Clancy is interviewing the soul bird of someone who's in prison. And if they die in the prison, time sort of resets. Right. So as the conversation between Clancy and this bird is playing out the person that they're attached to is trying to escape from the prison over and over and over and over and over again. Mm. And they keep dying and they're sort of trying to... I think the thread of that episode is that they're trying to learn from their mistakes and through that they sort of achieve this kind of... Nirvana. Yeah, this sort of yeah. like selflessness that allows them to eventually break out of this prison. Mm-hmm. Like that isn't just depicting trippy visuals, which is what most of the episodes do. Yes. But that episode actually feels like it's somewhat replicating the experience of being on a, being like tripping. Mm -hmm. Mm. It feels like it's sort of, um, rather than just informing the visual language of the show, it feels like it's actually informing the, the material of the show. Right. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, for the most part, it is just kind of like, oh, Clancy's talking to a fish man and they're on a boat made of like, that's, uh, piloted by cats yeah but yeah. the cats are also currency yeah and then they go yeah. like they go to like this he buys this cannon that has a hand in it that breaks some ice so they can go to this man who will like he has like a maze in his head and it's like uh, this is very yeah I don't know that's the thing I don't know what the problem is I don't know whether the problem is like people would find this trippy and for some reason it's just not resonating with me so I, and I don't know whether that's my fault because I'm sort of like I've desensitized myself to this sort of stuff mm or whether the show is just not taking itself far enough, which I think is definitely a problem in the first three episodes. Mm. Like when I watched the first episode, and it was basically just a zombie outbreak. I was mm. like, oh, this is going to be rough because it didn't, it just felt like I was so hackneyed basic, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It didn't even feel trippy to me. Like I was actually annoyed in the first episode because the animation had like marked itself as trippy. And then you see that first episode and it's just, this isn't trippy at all. There are a few people responsible for this. I'll just name some of the principal offenders. So Joe Rogan has got a lot to answer for. Right. Now, I like Joe Rogan a lot. I like his podcast, yeah. but he is definitely partly responsible for this. Judd Apatow is partly responsible for this, and Seth Rogen is partly responsible for this. This uh, loser smoking weed, being the hero of the story thing. Yeah. And I'm just so tired of it. It's just not interesting. It's, oh man, let's, let's smoke weed and talk about some crazy notions. You're nothing. There's nothing original about that. It's it's just yeah, but it's a cliche at this point. I'll give it one one positive. Okay, I like the idea of a universe simulator and different avatars, you know, wearing different costumes to go and occupy them. Yeah. I think that's a decent a decent premise. I quite mm-hmm. like that as okay. a setup. But the anime, even the animation, is not interesting enough to sustain its purpose. I don't I don't want to say the animation is bad. I don't. Think yeah, it's not bad. It's just uh, dull. Yeah. 
because I think bad animation is less common than people think because in mm-hmm. animation you can sort of do anything and so long as you so long as it's coming from a cons- consistent place so you have like a like a clear vision for it you can sort of do anything with animation like you've got like what was the tenacious d thing that they did ages ago where it's like oh yeah animation changes frames every 10 oh, seconds or the something the apocalypto thing yeah mm. like that's not bad animation but it's barely animated you know it's basically still frames lasting a few seconds yeah and yeah, because it's worse, like the animation is not as good as Adventure Time, or it's not as interesting as Adventure Time, mm-hmm. but Adventure Time clearly had a lot, uh, like a much larger team behind it. Yeah. Um, Adventure Time was sort of my frame of reference for a lot of stuff during the Midnight Gospel, purely because Pendleton Ward's invo- yeah. involved, and and Adventure Time is also kind of trippy mm-hmm. as well, although it doesn't market itself as trippy, which I think helps, which is why I think Adventure Time sort of feels of a higher quality than this does. Uh, it's also, a separate point. correct me if I'm wrong, is an adventure, adventure Time is a children's show that happens to have uh, an adult appeal, whereas yes. The Midnight Gospel is yeah. not a children's show. No. No. Yeah. These are all points I've written down. I can't keep up with my points <laughs> that I've made. What was I saying? It was... Um, the animation. Yeah. So you can get away with having animation that's less technically proficient mm. if it has character to it. Yeah. And this animation just doesn't have enough character to it to no, carry me through. No. Like I said, the first couple of episodes, to me, didn't even feel trippy. Mm. Towards the end of the show, it gets a lot better. Like episode five, the visuals really start to... They really start to push the visuals out there a lot more. And they kind of carry that through to the rest of the season. So that felt a bit better. I would but say like, five, six, and eight are the best for those. Yeah, definitely. Just because if you're going to do something as lazy as, oh, we'll just sort of adapt... Uh, snippets of my, uh, my my podcast and stick it on an animated show then you have to justify that by doing something really interesting with the animation well that's the thing there's a YouTuber um, well I say he's a YouTuber his content is on YouTube called Felix Cosgrove and he's one guy and he's an animator I recommend like anyone like go look up Double King which is an animation he did a couple of years ago now I think um, it's only like 10 minutes long it's a 10 minute short film mm. but the animation for that is fucking great right you know and it is it's trippy animation and it feels trippy mm-hmm. um there's like it's kind of the opposite of the midnight gospel in the sense that the midnight gospel is just conversations mm-hmm. whereas this has no dialogue it's a silent cartoon but it has a really dry sense of humor which i think complements the trippiness to it right and it's got a very sort of there are moments where the humor almost feels like it's bordering between being kind of like un- not horrific but sort of like uncomfortable mm. horrific is too strong a word but yeah. it's sort of dipping into oh i don't like that yeah whereas midnight gospel it's very typical adult animation humor it is where like, just, you know yeah, the fucking, very... there's like a, a bit in episode seven where he's talking to death and they're going down this river and he looks over and there's like this creature which has two it's basically just a dog but it has two buttholes instead of a head right okay it's like yeah yeah i've seen shit like it, that already come on now it's all very half-assed it's just a, like further confirmation that there appears to be no quality control on netflix because they come out with masterpieces they're mm. rare but ma- like basically masterpieces and then stuff like this i'm not saying this is the worst they've ever done but it just they'll pump out anything <laughs> they'll just throw okay. money at anything so it's clear you don't like this show, Sam. Eddie, no, what's your like opinion of the Midnight Gospel? I think it has a lot of flaws, and I didn't like. I wouldn't. I'm not saying I would recommend it, but like, weirdly enough, I enjoyed watching it. Right. Okay. I'm not saying you know I'd rush to watch it again. Mm. Yeah. Because I certainly don't think I would. But yeah, I like. I like weirdly kind of enjoyed like making my way through it. It wasn't something I could binge watch. I couldn't watch them all in one go. I did take my time watching it. But it's sort of like a like a tentative thumbs up from you, is it? I mean, it's a thumbs sideways, possibly leaning to a thumbs up. Okay. okay. 
It's a, it's at a what angle would that be? A thirty degree angle? Yeah, thirty forty five <laughs> degree do. angle. Um, I think I'm sort of in between the two of you. Like in the beginning, right. after like watching the first couple of episodes, I was very much in the same camp as you, Sam. Yeah, where it was almost irritating to me how well received this show had become. It's well received because it is. Yeah. It's a very well received show. Yeah. Um, as time went on and the show started to feel like it was filling its premise and filling its potential a little bit more, mm-hmm. like I said, episode six genuinely feels like what every episode should have been. Right. Where it's basically a story that the podcast conversations complement rather yeah. than the show just flicking a switch. Like now it's a podcast now. I think it doesn't help as well that like often the characters are like on some, some sort of journey or they're engaging in some sort of like fight while they're having yeah. these podcast conversations. And because the audio is lifted, everyone's talking like we are now. It's like, it's very calm and it's very casual. Yeah. But the characters are like flipping around and fucking cutting people's heads off and like yes. but they're not exerting themselves doesn't sound like so there's a no. clear disconnect between it is and it, it's disjointed and it's disjunct but again i think they would say oh man that's part of the appeal right is it so casual how they're approaching how this convenient that i know the appeal of show is not doing it properly well, so i mean it's <laughs> all know? just lazy it's just very lazy no craft. i okay i wouldn't call it lazy because you've got to bear in mind this is the first of its kind so so it's sort well, of well. It's like, not. It's not the first of its kind. It might be the first. No, it's not the first of its kind. How is it not the first of its kind? Well, the Ricky Gervais show predates this. Yeah, but the Ricky Gervais show. It was just the podcast audio. Yeah, and the visuals would sort of accompany the visuals. It would be like the visuals would just sort of uh, mirror what's being said. There was no story to the Ricky Gervais show. No. Okay, but I mean, <sighs> I think you have to go. You have to caveat and qualify a fair bit to say this is the first of its kind. It's the first of its kind in the sense that it's a. I think it's fair to say it's half podcast, half animated TV show. Because right. it does feel like... I mean, the conversations that they have are thematically linked to what's happening in the episode. But there, most of the episodes have very, very loose stories that the characters are either tangently participating in. Or you have like episode two, for example, where the entire episode, they're on a conveyor belt and they're like being funneled down these tubes and they're doing literally nothing. The story is literally just happening yeah. around them. They have no agency in it whatsoever. Mm. So yeah, I wouldn't say it's lazy. And I wouldn't, because I, I don't know, laziness sort of implies like they either didn't care about the subject matter or they didn't like conduct their own research. They were just sort of copying what other people were doing. No. It doesn't feel like that. No, when like, I, like this my, is clearly so when I say Trussell's, lazy, I'm, I mean, they, well, they just didn't put enough work into it. Okay. Well, I mean, this was in production for seven years, you know? Yeah, but I mean, it's you can, still... I think it's, I think it's perfectly valid to question where all, where all of that time was spent. Yeah. But I don't think it's fair to say that they didn't put enough work into this show, you know? Um, yeah, I can say that. I can say, in the same way that I can say I don't think enough work was put into Avatar. Avatar okay. they spent 12 years making, and mm. the script is a piece of dog shit. That yes, well, that's because they didn't, they didn't use their time well because they didn't yeah, yeah. put time into things that needed to be... So it's possible that in Midnight Gospel they were focusing on the wrong things or right. they, they couldn't push it far enough. Yeah. You know, like, they, they, they sort of, like, they, they, they came up with a couple of episodes, like episode one and two, mm. where the podcast is sort of happening and the episode's happening and it feels like, oh, we're, we're sort of, this is, this feels like as far as we can push this. Mm. So they just made that the basis rather than thinking, okay... We found a way for the two elements to occupy the same space. Mm. Now, how do we get it so that they're actually like intertwining? But there's a complementing each other. A distinction, uh, wouldn't you say, between saying that the people making it were lazy and that the show is lazy? I think when yeah, most no, people, definitely. 
Yeah, yeah. So when yeah. I say the show, I don't mean they were lazy. I mean, the show feels lazy in that it's just kind of not really doing much of anything. Well, it's sort, of, it's sort of... Um, words escape me. But basically, by episode three, the show feels formulaic. Mm. And I think considering the subject matter, considering that it's this guy, considering that it's a trippy animated adult TV show in which they're not constrained by a language barrier or a violence barrier or a sexual content mm. barrier... And this guy can just go to visit any universe where anything could be occupying it and they can have any conversation they want. The mm. fact that three episodes in, an hour of content in, it already feels routine yeah. and formulaic, I think that's a major problem. Oh, yeah. And again, later episodes do slightly address this, mm-hmm. but it takes way too... Like, I don't begrudge you for giving up on episode three, Sam. Even no. though I feel like you've missed the show at its best, yeah. I completely understand why you gave up on it. Well, there's you know? there's a trend in animation in particular of the, like the first half of a season not being very good and then it finding its feet in the second half. That's basically the only thing that carried me through. If we weren't doing a podcast episode on this, I would have given up after episode okay. one. See, the but thing I is, sort of suspected that this would be like a bit of a BoJack situation where halfway yeah. through it would become something else. And that's fair enough. Like I'll take you both at your word that it improves. The, my problem with it is, and you know me, I'll give anything a chance. Yeah, I I so detest the spirit. What I perceive to be the governing spirit of the show, I I won't. I can't even give it the time of day. Okay, uh, just that that thing of the the calif the, the West Coast. Oh man, let's sit around and talk about like mushrooms, and then like how 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 is a person happy these days? I'm just like, sick of it. Yeah. I'm tired of it, and I just, I can't bear it <laughs> anymore. No. Well, there's okay. t- there's two points that I haven't raised, which I'll raise yeah. quickly. But you talked about um, the premise, the idea of the universe simulator and the avatar. Yeah. The simulator does not need to be a vagina. <laughs> no, yeah, well, not. no, it does, because then how will it be for adults? Well, there you it, go. No, but it just, it, like we, it, it like, just you doesn't. know, we need to make it for adults. Let's put blood and, and pussies in it, you know? So it feels, it's a bit like Ted, isn't it? Which is, it's it's a guy in his teddy bit. And that's a similar thing of smoking weed and just being guys, being, you know, douchey yeah. guys. But that the whole thing of that is it's a teddy bear that swears. Yeah. Mm. That's what makes it adult. You know, it's just not good enough. Yeah. So there are enough. like right, okay. So you you've got Adventure Time, right? Yep. Which is uh I think it is sort of made with children in mind. It's made to appeal to yeah. children and it's marketed to children as mm-hmm. well. Yeah. So they do have language barriers and violence barriers, and they need to be careful about what they explore because if they go too far, then it can become even though they're not doing anything like vulgar it can become unsuitable for children Mm -hmm. like if any of these conversations from midnight gospel like the conversations about death that they have in the later episodes if they were put in adventure time a lot of people would probably be uncomfortable showing that to their kids you know yeah or uncomfortable for their if with their kids watching it Mm. so what it sort of does weirdly is when it sort of flirts with the idea of pushing the boat beyond what people would generally be comfortable showing to kids it feels taboo without actually being taboo right Right. So, for example, I think it's Adventure Time. I'm pretty sure it's Adventure Time. I should probably have checked my facts. I should probably have done research before uh, doing the podcast. But um, there's an episode of Adventure Time where Finn brings a toaster to life, I think it is. Mm. So he sort of, like, makes this face on the front of the toaster so it would be able to see and talk and whatever. And the toaster comes to life. But then, through some for some reason, the face appears on the side of the toaster. So it can't, like, when it's trying to move forward, it's actually moving sideways. So it doesn't have, like full control of its mm-hmm. own body and it starts getting like really upset it's like why did you create me and it gets like right. really like it's pleading with finn i think it asks finn to kill it at some right. point as well like that's not taboo 
in and of itself. That's not like uncomfortable, but because it's in a kids show, it feels more uncomfortable than it's act than it actually is. Right. Um. There's no- another example I have is like actually I don't know if I need another example because the point I'm making is that this show starts off with the character swearing and sticking his head in a vagina. Therefore, it's like the show has to really try hard to be like violent and vulgar and. Yeah, exactly. Because it's most of it. There's like one moment where I was like genuinely like, oh, okay. And that's in the final episode. Clancy gives birth to his mother. Right. And it you sh- it shows like the mother coming out of like his groin. Right. So yeah. it's an actual birth scene that they've animated. Yeah. That felt like, oh, okay, that's kind of gross. But other than that, the animation. I'm not going like, to lie. The- I'd love to see you in the room um, watching someone give birth. I think it'd be fucking amazing. Oh what? okay. What <laughs> well. the fuck's wrong with you? But that's but yeah, like, like the uh, that's most just, of the what's that? That's nothing. That's just gruesome. You know what I mean? That's yeah, like, like that, that's that was going to be my point. It's the vulgarity and the swearing and all that. It's just toothless. Yeah, like it feels like it's there purely so this can be marketed to adults. It doesn't actually feel like you needed it to be violent. Well, well there's a, there's a few things that feel like an attempt at self justification. That's one of them. Another is, this, I don't know if this kind of carries on, but the songs you get at the end of every episode. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. That feels like an attempt to go, oh, let's do something to justify uh, the existence of this as a television show. Okay. But again, it, yeah. everything was just serving to bug me. So That's fair. Well, so the, the other thing, the other point then that I had, which I feel like, George, will be a point for you. Uh, it is established uh, prior to the last episode um, that he doesn't exactly have parents. Yes, he has a conversation with Death, and he directly tells Death that both of his parents are dead. And then, epi- and then the final epi- episode is a conversation with between him and his mother. Right. So it's like, right, you can at least remain consistent. Like, if 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 the whole point of the show is anything can happen, yeah. Like in terms of like, well, we could go to any universe and see anything happening. That's fine. But this is a TV show. You need some consistency. Well, as we'll know? talk about in Doctor Who, boundaries are important. Yes. But what's this about him giving birth to his mother then? Right. In that episode, his mother kind of shows up. Yeah. And what I thought was actually a nice detail during the episode is as the conversation is unfolding, you can see Clancy and his mother visibly aging. Right. They're both getting older. Yeah. So she obviously ages to the point where she dies. Yeah. Then she sort of transforms into a mushroom. Uh. Oh, this actually encapsulates my problem with the... Um, the disjunct between the podcast conversations and the animation, the story of the animation and all that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. They're having a conversation about like feeling the inside of your own hand. His mother's basically asking him to like, look at your hand and try to feel the inside of it. And then she dies and Clancy starts crying and emotional music starts playing. And I'm, I went, Oh, you think I care? (laughs) Yeah. You haven't like built these characters up at all. And now you're giving me this, you're throwing this emotional beat my way. But anyway, she dies this mushroom sort of comes from out of her. A spore falls off the mushroom. It hits Clancy and he sort of instantly becomes pregnant. Right. The teddy bears that are sort of the people in the world that they're occupying then take him to the hospital. He gives birth to his mother as a baby mm. and then they just carry on the conversation like nothing happened. Yep. Okay. Like, well, no, he just gave birth to his own... Like, if you want me to actually invest in this character and actually believe this character... Like he'd have he'd have something to say if he gave birth to his own mother. Surely, but this is the thing: is it's not when I was watching it, it, it didn't feel like I was watching a character in a story. It felt like I was listening to Duncan Trussell. Well, that's the thing. I listened a little bit. The most recent episode of Duncan Trussell's Family Hour, he has one of the storyboard artists from the Midnight Gospel on the show. Mm. So I listened to a little bit. I didn't listen to the whole thing. 
And they do. Like, there's a couple of moments where they sort they sort of talk about, like, character beats. Like, in the first episode, the president is gunning down zombies, but uh, Clancy isn't doing... Sorry? That's uh, oh, you laugh because it's... Because, oh, it's so absurd. weird. Man. Yeah. Yeah. This review is a bit nastier than I wanted it to be. Because, I yeah, I started out hating... I don't know what I think about this show. Right. But I certainly don't hate it. You seem to hate it. I kind of hate it. I, I I hate its perceived audience, and I hate, but like I said, the spirit that governs it. Right. Um, but anyway, yeah, they're on the podcast, and they're having a conversation about the show. And yeah, they say the president is shooting zombies, but Clancy doesn't. Mm. And one of them says, that's just Clancy in a nutshell to me. Right. So they do, they are perceiving Clancy as though he's a real character. Yeah. But apart from episode six and arguably episode eight, there are no character beats. He doesn't do anything. Yeah. He just goes into an alternate universe. He interviews a person. He brings back a pair of shoes and the audio from the podcast. And that's sort of it. That's that's that, that's his that, place that, in the show. You know? Where he brings back a flower. Oh, he brings back a flower that can bring people back to life. Yeah. yeah. And that's just a, that becomes uh, he gets, a running he gets, gag, he gets, I guess. He gets drunk and throws up on the flower. Yeah, and then it dies, and then he brings it back to life, and then mice build a shrine to it, and then that's it. Yeah, you're not selling it to me. <laughs> no, I didn't think we were, no. to be honest. No. <laughs> I, I, I kind of assumed, based on the way this conversation had gone, that we had not sold it to you in the slightest. <laughs> I wouldn't yeah. discourage people from seeking it out, I would. but I would discourage them from making any more of it. Yeah, this yeah. show feels like an experiment, and the experiment is over now. You yes, know? yeah. I think if you're going like to by do... episode three, you've done like like I said by episode three, it feels routine. It feels like they've done everything they can with the format of the show. And even though six is sort of a standout, and five feels like it does the premise the best. Yeah, I don't feel like there's anything else you could. The only thing you could possibly do is just make more of what's already there. Well, and if you do if that, the people back... who like it will start to resent it. If they came back with a second series and. You know, it was more like episode six. Fine. Fine. Yeah, but that's sort of but that's what like, they've got to do. Feeds into what I'm saying about like it's just more of the same. And if you just release more of the same, people who like it will begin to resent it. Yes. Just leave it as it is. Go and do something else. Because this is the final point I'll make about the Midnight Gospel. This doesn't feel like the ideal format to experience anything that the show has to offer. Because I think you said at the beginning of the conversation, Eddie, that like you would just rather listen to the podcast. Yes, and I stand, I stand by that. Yeah, that's the thing, though. Like you put these podcast converse, even if this is just seen as like a highlight reel for his podcast. Like with a podcast, there's two ways you can engage with it, right? You can listen to it, so you can put it on and you can just sort of watch the timer tick away, or you can like put it on in the car and like as you're driving, even though you're doing another thing, your mind is the main thing. Your mind is doing is consuming the podcast, right? Mm-hmm. The other thing that you can do is you can put it on in the background while you're doing another thing, while like while you're playing a video game or while you're doing your taxes or whatever the fuck, right? In which instance you're not like you're not completely consuming the podcast, but you're sort of following the the melody of the conversation, right? Mm-hmm. With the Midnight Gospel, you can watch it or you can't. Yeah, because you can't treat it like a podcast and just put it on and listen to it because story beats interrupt the podcast conversations. So you have to watch the animation to see what the fuck they're on about. Yeah. And also, it's animated. It's it's demanding your attention. And you can't watch it as an animated TV show because this podcast keeps interrupting it, you know? So this doesn't feel like... The Midnight Gospel feels like the worst of both worlds. It's not ideal as a podcast and it's not ideal as an animated TV show. As I say, I wouldn't discourage people from seeking it out because there are people who would look at the trailer and think, oh yeah, that's exactly my thing. It probably is your thing. It's not my thing. Yeah, I think that's the closest I'm going to get to a sort of a final opinion on the show is it's not my thing. Because I started out hating it, and then I sort of ended up feeling disappointed. And then I ended up thinking, all right, I kind of know what it was doing now. 
but that's sort of it. You know, I don't really have like a like. Unfortunately, I don't have a clean summary of, of neither of the show. The show doesn't have a clean summary of itself. No, and I feel like that's probably where we're gonna leave it. Yes, we've still got the nice big old thing of Doctor Who to talk about. We do. Is that mm-hmm. what we're about to jump into? I yep. think so. Okay. Series six. Oh, here he goes. Right. Am I doing the bass or am I doing the do do do? I feel like you have to do the do do do, don't you? Yeah. Go on then. Who's doing the bass then? Just do it on its own. No, no, just I need play- a bass line. <laughs> just play it on its own. Go on. No, I need a bass line. I'm not, I'm not doing Why, why are you both so opposed to doing the bass for, do- for Doctor Who? <laughs> I'm only doing, doing this ever. every single time we do it. <laughs> but we've made it a thing now. We have to do yeah, it. Yeah, and I was not comfortable making it a thing, but we made it a thing. I was forced into it. Uh, I, want it I want it put on official record. Sam and Eddie are not pulling their weight during this podcast. I am more than happy to admit that. Okay. Some of us like getting to the point. I would sincerely like to apologise to the listeners of this podcast for what you are currently hearing. Uh, Sam is currently in the process of cutting... notes on this at all. Sam is currently in the process of cutting off his own ears. <laughs> no, that would have been appropriate for the last episode, Sam. I just took my head... I had to take my headphones off there for a second. Right, okay. Uh, that was horrible. Okay. Thank you. I've, I've, I've apologised to <laughs> listeners. It's fine. Right, a Christmas carol. Yes, Christmas special. We're back to the. We didn't have a Christmas special in series five. No, we're back to the Christmas special. Oh, yeah. lucky, lucky we. <laughs> um, okay. Is Michael Gambon gay? I, I'm not yeah. sure. I would, I would believe it. Yeah, I don't think he is. I think he's made jokes about being gay in the past. Okay, but yeah, definitely wouldn't surprise me. Why? Why do you? Why do you say that? Why, Could, because him that him hamming it up is quite camp. Okay, which is weird for a thasp like him. Uh, whenever someone is trying to subvert the sacred angels or zombies or vampires and make it banal, they're always called fucking Jeff, Jeff or Steve. It's one of those two. Who's Jeff? What are you talking about? There's someone called <laughs> Jeff in this episode. I I saw this a long time ago now. I can't even remember. No, no. Uh, who, are you talking about Jeff the Fish from The Impossible Astronaut? No, I'm not. Jim the Fish. Sorry, no. no Hang yeah, on, Jim the, Jim the Fish. Who the fuck's Jeff? There is a character called Jeff in A Christmas Carol. I've genuinely I no idea who this who Jeff was. is. It's it's near the beginning, whoever it is. It's probably in that opening. Um, I would say the family in the opening scene do not have anyone called Jeff in their family. No, yeah. no, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be that because that would be okay. It, it would the, be something. The sky fish don't have any names. They're just fish. This, this was definitely in there, but I, I can't, okay. I can't right, remember. Okay. Uh, what, I'll have what to trust is. you on that. I don't Eddie, do a, go- do a Google if you're not already. Um... He says in this episode, I've never met anyone who wasn't important. Yes. Uh, your companion was Donna Noble, mate. Oh, that's... that's <laughs> and, yeah, We're and past series four. Leave Donna she alone. Saved the, she, as far as he was concerned, she saved the world and became the most important person ever. So, yeah. no. He's, he's, he's wrong. They've got a very Sherlock-style deduction sequence. Well, I think this is... I think at this point, Stephen Moffat was writing both Doctor Who and Sherlock. Yes, yeah. he was. So, yeah... That that actually is a commonly held criticism, is that Sherlock and Doctor Who start to bleed together. Right. 
I think the Radio Times did it. There was like a quiz they did where um, it was sort of to highlight the problem, but they sort of put uh, quotes from the Doctor alongside quotes from Benedict Cumberbatch's Sherlock mm. to see if people could tell the difference. Because yeah, they do they do become very very similar those shows. Yeah, uh, there's there's a few laugh out loud moments uh, when it's trying to be serious. I say a few. There's there's one that stood out to me. And that is when the Doctor is kind of rewriting Michael Gambon's memory. Yeah. <laughs> There's a moment where Michael Gambon goes, but that never happened. But it did. <laughs> that is yeah, a Yeah, bad... and it like cuts to a different angle and the camera yeah. zooms in as he like turns to the but camera. But it did. But it did, yeah. I, I laughed out loud at that. Okay. I actually quite like this episode. It's my favorite Christmas episode. Right, okay. Um, thus far. Because this is one of those episodes that I have had absolutely no compulsion to return to, Yeah, basically since it aired. Mm-hmm. I watched it for Catherine Jenkins and that's it. Yeah, Catherine Jenkins. I've re- oh, I've realised it's my mother's fault. What? No, just in general. It's my mother's fault. No, no. Um, this whole, like, this this sort of turbulent relationship that I've got with musicals, I think that's my mother's fault. Right. Because she hates musicals. And I remember, like, when it was announced that Catherine Jenkins was going to be in the episode, my mother was like, oh, fuck, I don't like Catherine Jenkins. Right. And I think that's why... Because when I saw Catherine Jenkins, I was I sort of went, ugh. But I've never listened to any of her music. It's very so interesting. It's, it's very interesting because you're supposed to think the opposite of what your parents think. Right. Okay. That's what you do as a teenager, isn't it? You reject. You like all the things they don't like and you hate all the things they do. Oh, my apologies. I didn't realise <laughs> I, was, I was being a child wrong. You were. Okay. Um, well, just, I'm glad just, we got that out of the way. Just for clarification, uh, he refers to Santa Claus as G- Jeff. That's it. Santa Claus's real name is Jeff. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Okay. Mm, okay. We'll we'll get to it when we get to it. Well, um, I know I know that Nick Frost plays old uh, Saint Nick, doesn't he? Yes. So. And I don't think he's ever referred to as Jeff in as that Jeff. episode. <laughs> no, of course he's not. It's a terrible, terrible. Th- I, I, this episode is terrible. Really? Oh, you think really? this episode's terrible? I think. My review of the series is not positive, so... No, my oh, no. review of the series isn't positive. Yeah, the season's terrible, but this episode's all right. Because mm. I, yeah, like, I was pleasantly surprised returning to it. It's not an episode yeah. that I would rush back to. No, no, no. But I think it's sort of, it's a, it's uh, cemented the idea that Stephen Moffat is only, well, not only good, but he's at his best when he's doing single standalone episodes. Yes, and he, he play. I mean, in this one, he plays well with time again. Yeah, because it, they do follow, it's called A Christmas Carol, and they do literally follow the format of A Christmas Carol. Yeah. Like, the Doctor goes back to Kazran's childhood, and he changes his childhood, and that's him being the ghost of Christmas past. Mm-hmm. The story is that Amy and Rory are uh, on this ship that's stuck in the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. On a honeymoon, pointlessly dressed as a Roman centurion and a policewoman. Well, they're not pointlessly dressed as a Roman centurion and a police. We, you a d- we didn't need it again. You didn't. Yeah, but... No, you, you absolutely know, didn't. On, I don't care. It's, a, it's, a, it's, it's a, a gag for the adults, isn't it? It's a gag for the adults. Yeah, but you don't need they're it. They're in their honeymoon. What the fuck else are they going to dress up as? Come on now. Well, nothing. Yeah, I, yeah, but what do they dress up as before they... <laughs> Dress up with nothing. Dress up as Just nothing. Just stay, stay Before they nothing. don't wear anything. It's, it's called I'm, you could I'm put on a nice shirt and then she could put on a dress, leave it at that. You do not need to have them dressed up as a Roman centurion well, and the police. I mean, you are going to have the most vanilla honeymoon, aren't you, Eddie? <laughs> Maybe this is... Oh, sorry, sorry. Just wear a nice shirt. Hang on, hang on. From Mr. Mr. Kinky over here. Um, I... Maybe it's because, like in Asians, doesn't count as a kink. Maybe it's because I'm a, a straight man. I understand the kinkiness of like a woman dressing up as a police officer, even if I'm not really into it myself. Yeah, but it's not like he's he's not Russell Crowe. He's not like sexy as a gladiator. He's just kind of he's dweeby, isn't he? He's Rory. He's not like a hunk. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, you can't make Rory sexy. I guess no, you can't. Um, 
But then again, that like Roman centurion outfit, he was a Roman centurion at what would have been the sexiest time in his life for Amy anyway. Right. Like the time in his life where he dedicated 2,000 years yeah. to protecting so he it. wore that outfit for 2,000 <laughs> years without washing it. Yeah, so, so, I, guess it's, be so bit, I guess it's sort yeah. of symbolic sex appeal. Right. As opposed to actual sex no, appeal. I, there is the no way that that thing would have smelt good. I'm sorry. It's going to be it's going to be a bit musty, isn't it? I'm pretty sure he 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 would have washed it. When? Eddie. I don't remember. He had 2000 years to wash his clothes. Yeah, so when For did they most of those 2000 years when? he was on his own, so he could probably walk around in the buff while it's just no, he could, airing he could, out on the radiator. He can't, or he can't he can't abandon her and just walk around in his nads. Come on now. Airing out on the radiator. They probably have radiators at the end of the universe. Okay. I don't know. Um, no, I don't know. Yeah, I thought this was an alright episode. Yeah. It's nicely I like the Yeah, I like the, the way that it does the whole past, present. I really like the way they do Ghost of Christmas Future. Yeah. Where they sort of good. do an inversion where it's, because we're sort of following Michael Gambon Kazaran, which is the like the older version of Kazaran, uh, we think that like the Doctor is going to present a Ghost of Christmas Future to Michael Gambon. Yeah. But it's actually, he presents Mike, Michael Gambon to the kid version of himself. Yes. It's a very Moffatian uh, technique, isn't it? Yes. Um, I, I really like the idea that, he, that the Doctor can have this lifelong relationship with people that that's basically like an hour of his own time. Yep. I really like that. I think that's great. Mm. Um, yeah, it, I quite like the idea of the spectacle of the episode being observed by Michael Gambon. I like that, of him watching. Yep. Uh, I thought that was really good. It's a, a nice little gag about the psychic paper uh, shorting out, right? But... What would it have said? Because he says to the kid, I'm a mature and responsible adult. What would it have said on his psychic paper? Would it just have said that? <laughs> a mature and yeah, responsible adult. Yeah, it would be a mature, responsible adult written in orange crayon with like <laughs> the um, the R backwards, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I thought it was quite quite charming. Um, I didn't hate Catherine Jenkins in it. Like I said, it's, it's the best Christmas episode so far for me. Okay. Uh, a shark is a reindeer. You gotta love that. Oh yeah, uh, <laughs> you, you gotta love that. Come on, Eddie. You gotta love no. that. You don't love that. Mm. Oh, for God! If I you're really not enjoying like Doctor it. Who for those things, what are you finding to like in Doctor Who? If it's not I, stupid, I genuinely like that. really didn't like it. <laughs> okay. Okay. Oh well. yeah, what the fuck is up with this face spider bullshit? You know when the Doctor visits like young Kazran and he said like, oh, there are these things called face spiders where they're spiders but they have like baby heads oh, and yeah. they hide behind your cupboards? Yeah. And what the fuck's that all about? It sounds like uh, that thing from Toy Story, doesn't it? Yeah. Like one of the toys in Sid's Because it's uh, just a thing the Doctor, like the Doctor does his usual like rambling rambledness. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's just something he says. But like, yeah, it's fucking terrifying. Why the, why the fuck would yeah. you tell me of that? He's doing that all the time though, isn't he? Just like he is, yeah. side references to things like that. Um, my alternate title, I'm quite happy with this actually. My alternate title for this episode is Slaypex Predator. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, alright. Yeah, yeah, not too bad. Uh, guess, um, it's guess a thumbs up from me. I suppose it's a thumbs up from me as well. Yeah. Yeah. No. Not, not from you, is it? <laughs> well, we finally, Eddie. we had an episode that you both liked that I didn't. And now we've got an episode that Eddie doesn't like and we both like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The triangle so is kind of complete. completed the triangle. Yeah. yeah. Okay. We'll do the next two as two. As yeah. one, rather. I think yeah. that's fair, yeah. So, The Impossible Astronaut and Day of the Moon. Yes. I have basically nothing to say about this episode. Okay, then. <laughs> um, like, very, very little was occurring to me watching it. I noticed there was handheld camera. I don't know if that's quite new or whether they've done that a lot before, but it felt like they were leaning on it a bit more in this episode. The cinematography in general seems to have taken a step up a little bit since Series 5. Yeah. During... 
this two-parter, and then they take a bit of a break until, like, episode eight, and then the cinematography gets really good again, I think. Yes. Um, We'll talk about the episodes as they occur. Mm -hmm. But, like, there are examples, like, when they're sort of, they've sort of um, giving him that kind of uh, Viking burial or whatever it is, where they set fire to the boat and push him out on the lake. And it's the shot of the four of them looking out. Yeah. And it's all dark and the lake is like, it's the fire lighting the lake. Like, that's a really, really nice shot. It is. Well, it's it's hard to make. It's like cheating almost, isn't it? Like the Revenant winning best cinematography. It's like, <laughs> it's hard to make those American vistas look ugly. Yes, that's I'm, I'm true. Not, I'm not denuding it. It, it is good cinematography. Mm. Um, the one thing I will say, though, is with the upgrading cinematography, they're also shooting the TARDIS from multiple angles now. Yeah. Which means that you can see the studio wall where they clearly haven't built the rest of the set. Right. I, think I didn't notice that. Genuinely. Okay. Yeah, if you look at like when the TARDIS is sort of, when it's facing away from the door of the TARDIS, because obviously the TARDIS has very like decorative walls where it has these like round things and then sort of like, you know, these pillars and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And then there's a wall behind Matt Smith which just looks like a blank featureless wall right. with like a couple of struts coming out of it. Okay. It's like, oh, you clearly haven't built the entire <laughs> set. So you've just like right. shoved it against the studio wall, you know? Yeah. That was really distracting. I find the flirtation between the Doctor and River too much. Okay. I mean, it's her more than him, but it's just a bit cringy, in it? Mm-hmm. It's just like... Uh, I think she's a bit much this season in general. She is. She is. I you. I think you said it on the last episode, Eddie, that I, I would form an opinion of River. Yep. Or maybe it's one before that. Uh, yeah, I've got an opinion now. Yeah. Um... <laughs> I just, I just don't like. Is it, it. kind of, is it kind of to just say you have an opinion and leave it at that, rather than say what that opinion is? <laughs> yeah, maybe you can infer everything you need to from that. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. It's just the sweeties and the wink, wink, and I'm not. Is it in this episode that she makes a reference to screaming during sex? Yep. It's a yep. bit not on in it for a kids show, but um... <laughs> <laughs> there's a couple of moments I do like. I like when um, Matt Smith says to River, "Oh, you're doing, you're doing it again. What am I doing? You have that face. What face?" That, that he's clever when he's hot face. Yeah. And River says, this is my normal face. And he goes, yes, it is. Yeah. I like that. Like that one moment of flirting is like, that's okay. Yeah, that's like all right. That. That's yeah. okay. Yeah. But I don't know, like they, they're doing a lot of work to make her cool, aren't they? Like the uh, yeah. firing the gun and then putting the, it back in the holster on the hip. And yeah, it, it gets a bit on. And then when she like yeah. in Day of the Moon where she shoots the silence without looking. Like, she, yeah, that's like, all right, okay, yeah. we get it. Stop it now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, what do you think? of the silence uh what about like their design or just yeah like, them in, in general, general as a concept because i would say that like obviously the weeping angels are stephen moffat's most iconic monster mm. but if you want to sort of highlight an iconic monster of the matt smith era it's probably the silence yeah it's quite a good design you know slender manny sort of vibes mm. yeah i think it's a really good concept as well that they're sort of memory proof so the moment you stop looking at them you forget that you've ever seen yeah them. that's yeah. quite a cool yeah, villain like idea that. I didn't have any strong feelings towards them as I was watching it. Now we're talking about it. Yeah, I like that idea. Um, it, uh, calling a species the silence bugs me on a grammatical level. I don't like that. Okay, well, it's going to bug you even more. Oh, than no. They- it's abused a lot this season. Also, I think it's worth pointing out that a si- the silence is the plural. Silence. I think an individual one is called a silence. A silent, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it opens it up. To, it's rife with linguistic abuse. Yes. That's all I got. My alternate title is, I, I, I couldn't even be asked. So it's just Apollo 11 because he's the 11th doctor. That's all I got. 
that's fair enough. Oh fuck! Oh, is this is this a sign of things to come? I couldn't no. be asked, so I just named it after a thing that's in the episode. I once or twice, but um, yeah, that, because Apollo Eleven, it's obviously Apollo, and then the number eleven. Yeah, I've just replaced it with a word eleven, and that is all. <laughs> that is the effort I'm going to do for the, this. Okay. Two parts. What, yeah, yeah, what, yeah, so that's what did you enough. call the second half then? No, they're both they're both Apollo Eleven. Okay. Oh, are we have we have we discussed Day of the Moon as well? Yeah. Oh shit! All right, I'll go through my notes then. <laughs> um, Matt Smith regenerates, or he starts regenerating. Yeah, we'll come back to that. Right, just something to keep in the back of your mind. Right. Why the fuck is Canton hunting down Amy, Rory, and River in the opening of Day of the Moon as a cover-up? Do they ever say that? Yeah, no, it's a cover it's implied. Because what happens is Amy shoots the little girl at the end of the Impossible Astronauts, and then all of a sudden we cut to the Day of the Moon, and Amy is on the run, and then she gets murdered. And River and Rory also are on the run and get murdered. Then we find out the Doctor is being imprisoned in this prison made out of the densest substance in the universe. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, we've literally just done the Pandorica. Why the hell are you, are you doing, like, you know, oh, this is the most, like, secure prison in the yeah. universe. Um, and then Canton sort of locks himself in with the Doctor. And then they go save all Amy, Rory, and River. And then the episode starts. And you're like, well, what the fuck was that all about? Yeah. There's a lot of that, actually, as, as 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 we'll get further into the show. There's a lot of, well, what the fuck was that all about? Yeah. That's I think I, I just... tagline for this series. I just stopped, <laughs> I just stopped thinking yeah. after a certain point. I mean, like, I think on the last episode, Eddie, you said, from now on, it is just individual episodes. Yeah. Like, you just have to hope for good individual episodes. Yeah. So that is what I was hoping for. Yeah. It mostly failed at that, <laughs> to be yeah. fair. But, um... In the... Previous, yeah, I'll just quickly fly through my notes now. In the previous series, uh, in the Vampires of Venice, they say the the whatever the name of the main woman, she says the reason they abandoned their home planet is because it was destroyed by the silence. Mm. If the silence are memory proof, how the fuck would they remember that the silence destroyed their home planet? Maybe she wrote it down while she could see him. Yeah, I, I mean, a, a whole d- the whole destruction of a planet—that's something that could survive individual memory loss. Other other people would know, not just the people who experienced yeah, it. Yeah, no, no. The, the, the destruction of the planet would survive the memory loss. Mm. But the cause probably wouldn't. No, I mean, the co- yeah. Because other people would know, you know, not just the people who experienced it. Okay. Like, that, that, that information would get out, you know? But how would it get out? How would you share that information if you don't... If you can't remember the information? Tweet it. Oh, our planet was destroyed. How did that happen? I don't know. Put it on Twitter. But No, but I mean, people who weren't on the planet would know that it was destroyed by the silence. But how? They're like, I don't know. I don't no know one what... remembers the silence. Nobody knows who they are. Is it a case of you see them and you forget them? Or you you comprehend them and you forget them? As soon as you turn your back on them. Yeah, all um, everything that could relate to them is erased from your memory. So if you... if uh, It wouldn't be possible, but if you were now to tell me about the silence, I would forget about the silence instantly. Yes. Right. I think that's well, the well idea. That, if that's the idea, that doesn't work at all then, because they they yeah. referenced several times by several people. If uh, it is the um, whole show, just so. the image of the silence, the physical form of the silence you can't yeah. remember, then that's okay. That seems a but bit, I think a bit more workable. Point, yeah, I think at one point they do specify that anything pertaining to the silence is erased from your memory. In which case, there's no fucking fighting that. No, no, nothing. Yeah, yeah you can't do anything. You can do. No, it's impossible. They wouldn't yeah. even have a name. You know. No, exactly. And the last thing I'll say about Day of the Moon. Yeah. That I just want to bring up that little scene with Nixon where um Canton Delaware the third is like they 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 mentioned earlier that yeah, the reason he was chucked out of the FBI is because he wants to marry somebody. A homosexual. Yes, as as the doctor is leaving, uh Nixon is sort of talking to Canton and he says, This person you want to marry, I assume they're black. And he goes, Yes. 
And Nixon goes, well, contrary to what people think, maybe I'm a little more liberal than people give me credit for. And then Canton says, he is black. And then Nixon goes, I think the moon is far enough for now, don't you think? And then Canton <laughs> says, yes. And then Nixon like turns the camera and does like a, like a funny face, like a, like that was close yeah. face as like quirky music plays. <laughs> what the fuck is going on there? I quite like that. It felt so strange. I don't like even a, know like what it was a, trying to... Like an Archie Bunker, Santy sitcom type of reaction. Yeah, but I don't even... Like, were they making fun of Nixon? Were they making fun of the idea of marrying a black man? Oh, I no, no. They were, they were making fun of the attitude of the time, weren't they? I mean, it's, right. it's an odd thing to apply quirky music. Yes. Because, yeah, you, you sympathise with the character who's going, oh, it's Albert and Costello, right? Yeah. That is, that is odd. But, yeah, I mean, we're not meant to like Nixon anyway. No. So I, I guess they, right. they take that as a given. If you know who Nixon is, you don't like him, so... Yeah, I see. But okay. yeah, <laughs> that moment's far enough. <laughs> yeah, and that's everything I have to say on okay. Impossible Planet and Day of the Moon. Did you say whether they were thumbs up or thumbs down? Thumbs down. Okay. I would say the Impossible Planet is better than Day of the Moon, but yeah, it wouldn't really... Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm, not, I'm, I'm in no hurry to return to those episodes yeah. at all. Nor am I in a hurry to return to The, close, the Curse of the Black Spot. Yes, wank. Yeah. <laughs> What a terrible fucking episode. It is a terrible fucking episode. Um, The thing that annoyed me the most about it was, I I get what they're doing, and I understand how it's a staple of the show, but are there any terrestrial myths that don't have a sci-fi context? Like (laughs) Krakens and Norse mythology. Like, it's all got to be, oh no, they were aliens. Yeah. Can't we we just have some fucking myth? (laughs) Like, there's nothing left. They've now taken sirens and pirates and turned that into something different. Does that happen? Never well, it, it does for the sirens, doesn't it? No, no, no. I mean, um, it's just myth. Like, oh, there right. is no scientific explanation. I wonder if the show has ever done that. It must have done that. If not in New Who, then in the classic series. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, Rory, Rory is, is becoming the Kenny of Doctor Who. Explain. Well, he keeps dying. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the dude's got to stop dying. It's getting old, man. Yeah. It, it, I think the fact that they point. start making jokes in the show about how commonly he dies. Yeah. Like, even if the show's in on the joke. <laughs> Sorry about that. It's all right. Well, it's, yeah, I'll get rid of that. Unless you want me to keep that sneeze, Eddie. That's <laughs> fine. Hang on. I'm just going to... It's important to the canon of the podcast that you sneezed when you did. Just going to... Uh... You, pow- you powdering your nose? No, I'm uh, putting hand sanitizer on. Oh, good man. See? Oh, yeah. Right. Rub that right up to the mic, Eddie. Right up to the mic. Mmm. Mmm. Oh, okay. Ooh. Uh, that's all I got as well. I, I think this is a terrible, <laughs> it's a terrible episode, isn't it? It's yeah, there's just, nothing to say, yeah. really. Uh, Hugh Bonneville is no pirate. No, he's certainly I not. Don't, no. I don't care what the show tries to tell me, he is no pirate. He He's the, Eng- the English, the captain of the Englishman who go hunt the pirates. He's not a exactly, fucking Exactly, yeah. yeah. He's a, it's not a privateer. Is that what they're called? Nope. Musketeer? No, no, privateer well, that's, is... No, that's, that's something else entirely. Yes. I think privateer, <laughs> it might be a synonym of pirate. Um, okay. I can't remember. But yeah, no, he, yeah. he works for Her Royal Majesty, uh, Vic- Queen Victoria going hunting the pirates. I know that that's what he did do. Like, he turned yeah. to piracy. Yeah. But still, he is no pirate. No. The one thing, the one the one positive I will say about this episode, though, Karen Gillan rocks a pirate outfit. She rocks most outfits, to be fair. She rocks most outfits, <laughs> but she looks good as a pirate. Okay, all right. Like, when Rory says you should dress as a pirate more Oh, often, fucking like, Joel, yes. put it away. Don't do it on the fucking podcast, for God's sake. <laughs> Yeah, I don't. I don't. Oh, I, don't I, do, I did not want to see that. I don't. I did not want to. I was hoping that I'd have like a slide whistle effect. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be like, Whoop, it's up, but it's not. Hmm? 
manipulate that piccolo. <laughs> That's so my alternate titles are, I think these are all quite, this is quite difficult because obviously yeah, I had to come up with a pirate slash Doctor yeah. Who. Pirate? P-I rate? Pirate? No, because the, so my school of thinking for the puns, it's not my response to them or what the episode is. It's things that are contained within the episode. Okay. So my alternate title, my favorite one is probably XI marks the spot, 11. Mm. XI marks the spot. <laughs> right, okay. Um, Mermedic, that's the worst one. Um, oh, yo- that's my favorite. <laughs> that's your favorite yeah. one. Uh, yo Ho Who. <laughs> oh, maybe that's my favorite. Uh, Doxon. And uh, just for the ending, Guardians of the Galaxy. I'll see. But- <laughs> I, I, had one, I, my, I had one for this, which was Who's Gold? You bastard! You you came up with an alternate title <laughs> just Fuck for this off. one. Just get for back this in one. your That's box. Sam's okay. thing, Eddie. You can't do that. Just for this one, and it was who's okay. gold. We have a strict okay. format. What do you think this is? Freeform conversation or something? Uh, yeah, George. Fine enough. There are rules to this. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thumbs down. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Duh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Right. The Doctor's wife. Yep. Yeah. Is this the episode I'm expected to love? Well, do you love it? No. Okay. <laughs> um. I like the episodes that sort of treat the TARDIS like a character rather than just the vehicle. Right. And I think that's why a lot of people like this episode because it's sort of a doctor. The doctor and the TARDIS are finally interacting. They're finally conversing. Yeah. Well, Saran Jones is pretty good. Yeah. But mm. the implication of an intimate relationship with the TARDIS brings to mind that documentary of men wanking over their cars. Do you remember that? Right. <laughs> I mean, there's all they've always there's always been a sort of like he, he he calls the TARDIS sexy before this episode. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's I I always like imagine. I know it's like an organic, it's an organism. But I always sort of interpreted that as the same way the guys call their cars sexy or refer to vehicles as she. You know, yeah, oh, yeah. isn't she sexy? Not like an actual. <laughs> there's a sexual attraction. Well, I mean, you as know. as uh, Pond suggests, he must have wished really hard. Yeah. Indeed. Why is it called the Doctor's Wife? I don't know. Yeah, that's a bit shit. I, I, they, bl- I, they blue ball you a lot with titles on Doctor Who. Yeah. yeah. It's a lie. It's not even like a tease. It's just a lie. Is it? Mm. Well, I was going to say, is it sort of like, oh, it's the closest thing the Doctor has to a wife. But spoiler alert, by the end of the season, he has a wife. <laughs> yeah, an actual wife. Yeah. This is a Neil Gaiman episode, isn't it? It is. Mm-hmm. I like Neil Gaiman. Yes. I didn't like this in particularly. Okay. This is the first one I give a thumbs up to. Is it? Yeah. Well, I know this. Is, I do know this one's well regarded. Yes, um, I think it won the Hugo. It right? did win the Hugo. So yeah. Oh. But- Another point I wanted to bring up very briefly mm. um, during our discussion of Turn Left back in Series Four, you asked me whether the TARDIS takes the Doctor where he needs to go, or whether the, the Doctor just gets lucky and he just sort of turns up by coincidence. Yeah. This episode, I suppose, directly answers that question for you. Yes. Yeah. Yes, it does. It does. I suppose it wasn't really anything that. No. Didn't it wouldn't really have been matter. too bad to spoil it. No. But, uh, <laughs> no. Now you've got a direct answer. Well, Doctor Who's spoiling itself now, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Um, my Because it's, <laughs> it's shit. That's all I got. My alternate title is Bringing Down the House. This is one as well where I thought, oh, I can't be asked. Yeah, that's all right. <laughs> it's can't be that's asked. whatever. Mm. Yeah. Um, there's, there's a nude. Yay, I guess. Oh, yes, there is. Yeah. A nude called Nephew. Yeah, it's like, oh, yay, a nude. Yeah, ood, ood are good. Yeah. <laughs> That's probably it. And also you get like, oh, yeah, I've noticed that as well. There's a lot more like um, nostalgia. Like the show is starting to play to nostalgia a lot more. Like in this episode, we get the return of the David Tennant TARDIS control room. Okay. Yeah. So it's sort of like background nostalgia, ambient nostalgia, I suppose. Yeah, where like okay. they're in the, they're at that control room for a bit. So fans can go, oh my God, it's that control room. Yeah. And so then th- you sort is... of like, there are sort of like 
unofficial Rose, Martha, and Donna companion uh, cameos later on in the series. As yeah, well. like the, this is the stuff, like the reusing Tenant's TARDIS. That that's the stuff that just goes over my head. Okay, I just don't even notice that sort of that sort of thing. Mm, right. Yeah, thumb sideways. I didn't hate it. I thought it had points where it was okay. I would say it's a thumbs up. I'm with you, Eddie. Yeah, okay. I, I'd give it a thumbs up. I think given that this is series six we're talking about, we have to take the good as it comes. Yeah. And I think broadly this is a good episode, <laughs> yeah. so let's celebrate it while we can. Because we're about to dive into... Uh, well, the Rebel Flash and the Almost People. Yes. The Vistas aside, since the season premiere, it's quite a visually dull season, isn't it? Yes. I don't know what the fuck happened. Yeah. Because that... Day of the Moon and The Impossible Astronauts, they, 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 those those episodes do genuinely look very good. But then all of a sudden... Yeah. Like, surely Curse of the Black Spot should have looked good, you know? Yeah. Or a pirate ship. Think, actually, no, thinking about it now, this two-parter, it's visually reminiscent of Chernobyl. Now, Chernobyl is gorgeous. Yes. A gorgeous show. So I'm, I don't mean it, it looks bad, but it's got that grey, oppressive... Oh, something happened in the frame, for God's sake. Yeah, yeah. it's very visually unstimulating. Yeah, it is. The, I think the colour... It doesn't help that this is sort of like a factory set, like, built in a castle. Yeah. Which, again, that should be, like, a like a fantastic place to, like, build from, visually. Mm. Like, oh, we've got this factory, but also these ca- this castle, so we can, like, merge the... But not really, it's just, like, it, <coughs> it boils end, down to... Yeah, it ends like, up looking like... they'll have a table, a wooden table in, like, a metal room, and it, it. it. ends up looking like a factory in a castle would look in real life. <laughs> yeah, know, exactly, like, yeah. Just just that bland. It's, it's um, disappointing as well, because, like, the colour scheme as well, they seem to have colour-graded these episodes, so they, there's one prevailing colour. Like, the, color is the Curse of the Black Spot is just blue all the way through. It's just yeah. this, like, greyish, deep blue. Yeah. And this episode as well is very, like... There's a lot of like earthy browns and greys. And and it's like ugh. It's just horrible. But, but that's yeah. it's disappointing because like all right, take Bloodborne for example. Bloodborne's a video game that came out in 2015. That has a predominantly grey color scheme. Pretty much every location in that game is mostly, if not entirely, grey. Mm-hmm. But it looks stunning. Right. So you can do environments and episodes with limited color palettes that still look amazing. Yes. Well, it's all about context, isn't it? I mean, like I said, Chernobyl and The Office. They can be kind of monochromatic because it helps with the presentation of that show and what oh, it's yeah. trying to say and do. Yeah, yeah absolutely. When you're dealing with a otherworldly sci-fi, can go anywhere, can do anything. It's just not good enough, really. No. Um, the these might be the two worst episodes so far. Oh, worse than Curse of the Black Spot. F- yeah, for me yeah. they were. Yeah, because yeah. they were, they were more boring than that. But partly because it was a two-parter, and this is the worst case of it got to the end and went, oh, not this. Yeah. Surely, usually, this? yeah, even if it's something I'm not particularly interested in, I can see, okay, there's still some story mileage that hasn't been kind of, you know, yeah. uh, exploited yet. In this, it was just, oh, this is one episode of ever I've seen one. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. Obviously, Voldemort comparisons abound. <laughs> yeah. um, I will say the flesh does offer up some creepy imagery. You know, like the Voldemort people, are like, yeah, they're okay. Yeah. Um, but when it, I'm talking about, like, when it's just a batch of flesh and you see the right. face, like, rising out of the flesh and it's sort of like, you can see, like, the veins that are sort of in, like, this right. white goop. Um, that's creepy. That yeah. looks genuinely great. That's about it. That's the only, like, that's good-looking it. thing. Th- this was the moment where I, th- I thought, oh, I'm out now then. Yeah. Like, I'm out Series now. 3 was so long ago now, wasn't it's it? so long ago. Yeah. Uh, my Again, my alternate title is Doppelanger. That's all, <laughs> that's all it is. Uh, yeah. Thumbs there's, like... Down, down, down. Yeah, it's, yeah. Not, it's not a good... Nope. 
It's not it's not good at all. New- the green screening they do at the beginning so that there are two maps missing the frame is really bad. Yeah, there's quite a lot of bad green screen in this season. Yeah, yeah but that in particular, it's yeah. really ropey. Considering that they do the rest of it, either through like uh, doing shot reverse shots, mm-hmm. where like, oh, they're in the same location, but you only see one in the frame at any time. Or there's like a moment where they're both like ducking behind uh, like a console. Mm. So it's like camera trickery, basically, rather than having to superimpose them onto the same image. Like that looks all right. Yeah. But yeah, when it's the two of them green screen together, it looks really, really bad. Yep. Also, I think the... I don't know what you think about the ending of uh, The Almost People, where it's revealed that Amy has been a Flesh avatar uh, this whole nothing. time. I mean, I, I've... Like, honestly, no investment at this point. Yeah. Um, I think that ending is too good for the episode. Because I think I've alluded... I don't know if I've alluded to it before, or I might have alluded to it before and then cut it from a discussion. But there are... There, this episode, I think it's l- genuinely liked. Not loved, but it's liked by people purely because of its ending. Yeah, okay. It's the, it's the only good bit of it. Yeah, it's the only good bit. And you've got to go sit through like 40 minutes of an episode to get to it, you know? Yeah. So yeah, it doesn't deserve that ending. And it's really disappointing. And yeah, I hate these episodes. They were so <laughs> like... Okay. I struggled with these episodes. Yep. Mm-hmm. So they're, 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 they're an enthusiastic thumbs, thumbs down. down from me. Right, a good man goes to war. Yes. What the fuck is this show now? I don't know what it's trying <laughs> to be anymore. It's it's like it's more Star Wars for one. Okay. There are even like lightsabers in the episode, basically. Uh, yeah, the 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 headless monks and the yeah. lightning swords. It's like uh, so that this episode and the last two, it's like the final season of Game of Thrones. Final seasons, actually, which is turn the fucking lights on. Yeah. Just turn the lights. I want to see what's happening. Well, y- I mean, this don't. episode was very clearly. No, okay. They clearly had no sets built for this episode. They just filmed in the BBC studio. Yeah. <laughs> so they probably had to turn all the lights down just so you couldn't see like Studio A written on the wall in like yeah. big letters or something. Is Rory dressed up as a centurion for the fuck of it? Is it like his Heisenberg hat? Sure. Is that what it is now? Yeah. It, it's yeah. Doctor thought it would be funny. Okay, he can't do badass at all. No, nope. Arthur Darville. He Again, just can't o- do it. We do not need him in the Centurion outfit. It is really <laughs> annoying. I absolutely hate it. Would you like me to repeat the question? Like, yeah. Come on. Yeah. No. It's it's shit, but that's I know it kind of works. No. Oh no, 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 no. That that's what that note is referring to. That you no, he can't do it. Arthur Darville can't. No, do he that. can't do it. Yeah. But he can't do it. He so can't do it. That it almost works. No, it doesn't. Okay. okay no, I think sure. we disagree on that one. Not in the slightest. I knew River Song was Amy's daughter. Not like, I'm not going to pretend that I knew the whole time that, no. But as soon as it, it, it was Melody Puzzle, okay, River Song, obviously, yeah. is the worst twist going. It, I, yeah. I, yeah, I felt nothing when okay. it was revealed. Why? Why is it the worst twist going? No, no, no. Why is she... Why have they done bother that? making her Amy and Rory's daughter? Because Oh, because, because it's a time Moffitt, travel show and that's clever. Yeah, Stephen Moffat thought this was a brilliant, brilliant thing. Um, it's surely it's, like the mystery of who... It it's Moffat's instinct going too far. Yeah, yeah, but the mystery of who River Song is and the mystery that we've been setting up is her relationship to the Doctor, mm-hmm. right? And since the season ends with her marrying the Doctor, surely that is the resolution to the mystery. Yep. The fact that Amy and Rory are her parents, yeah. that's just extra detail. It doesn't mean anything. It's, it's like a supplemental twist, isn't it? Also, watching yeah, her say mum and dad to those two is just horrific. <laughs> it, it's, it's, I, it, it, I felt it was really badly acted because I think even they were stood there going, what on earth? Oh, we yeah. 
Yeah, I, I liked Alex Kingston before this in Doctor Who. I liked her in series uh, four, was it? I, I liked her in f- four and five. Yeah, she's pretty yeah. good at five as well. I don't know what yeah. happened. Uh, St- they let Stephen Moffat write more episodes. Well, this when thing, he, I, I, <laughs> he just he he has a good instinct, but when he's the guy crafting the entire season, he goes too far with it. Yeah. So it's like, how can we really play with time and the off characters? I that, think I get it. One of the executive producers is his wife. Yes, Sue Virtue. So there is no mediation happening. Nope. Absolutely. Whatever Stephen Moffat wants to happen, happens. Yeah. And I think that's one of the critical errors of him as showrunner, is yeah. no one's mediating his behaviours. Nope. Yeah. Thumbs down. Yep. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, thumbs down. Uh, my alternate titles are Pond Spawn <laughs> and uh, Revelation. Yeah, all right. <laughs> <laughs> First. There is okay. I wouldn't. I wouldn't have called this episode a thumbs down. There is. There is an element to this episode I like, and that's that it's sort of. Um, I know you've you've previously said that you don't like it when Doctor Who gets serious, Sam. So I you probably didn't like it, mm. but they sort of play to the darkness of Matt Smith's Doctor a little bit more, like um, that whole scene where he's like, you know, tell your men to withdraw. No, no, no. Actually, tell your men to run away. I want you to be known as Colonel Runaway. I want to ruin your reputation, you know? Yeah. And that whole speech about, like, good men don't re- need rules. Today's not the day to find out why I have so many. It's making the Doctor feel like more of a villain. Not a villain, but it's sort of showing the side of the Doctor that his enemies see. It's not so much that I don't like it when Doctor Who gets serious. I. It's not that. It's when they try to cast the Doctor in a badass light. So like okay. th- those lines, you meant, you, you're meant to think, oh my God, that's so cool. What a cool badass line. Right. Like, like, like a Heisenberg line, I am the one who knocks. It's that sort of yeah. line. When it does that, I tend to roll my eyes because I think it's, this is not the place to do that. Okay. See, I have a thing with this episode of it talks about how this will be the furthest the Doctor ever falls. A, no, it's not. And B, it's like they forgot he killed all of his own people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, mass genocide. Mass yeah. genocide yeah. or getting a bit angry because they took your mate's baby. Mm, yeah. No. Yeah. No, it's, ter- um, it's terrible. Demons run. Well, uh, when when Vastra says to the doctor, demons run his hours without a single drop of blood spilt. Like, soldiers have, like, killed each other in friendly fire prior to this moment. Yeah. People are dead on demons run, you know? <laughs> also, yeah. there's a line from the episode that I just, I just, I don't, I won't say anything else. I just want to say the line to you. Yeah. Oh dear God, that's the attack prayer. Yeah. <laughs> I laughed when I, I completely forgot that line, but it, because it's Dorian as well. So it's this big fat blue guy and you hear like this monk chanting off in the background. He's like, oh dear God, that's the attack, attack prayer. prayer. <laughs> yeah, he reminds, reminds me of um, Varys from Game of Thrones. He's got that vibe about him. Uh, right, let's kill Hitler. Yeah. Bear in mind, Sam, yeah. we had to wait months for this episode. Right. Good Man Goes to War sort of acted as like a mid-season yes, finale yeah. and there was a break afterwards. So whatever you feel about this episode... Imagine the disappointment when it <laughs> came back. Yeah, imagine the fact that we had to fucking That's wait for this to come I out. I really like this episode. Oh, you didn't. Shut no, up. No, I don't. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> it's not even funny at this point, Sam. <laughs> I like the montage of the friend emerging from confinement as, you know, school and then prison. I like that. Yes. I like that little thing. But... There's this character that we've never met before. No, who's I know. In, an important part of Amy and Rory's yes. life, and she's called Mel's. I wonder yes. where this is going. I know, I know. But also, like, so my first instinct was this is a bit Nikki and Paolo slash Dawn Summers. Okay. Characters that come into dramas that apparently have a, that have a significance that would have been like otherwise flagged. 
So basically in Buffy, they bring her younger sister in, in like season four or five. Okay. And it, it's like, she's been there the whole time. Yeah. Living with her. But then the, the, it becomes a plot point and twist that that's not actually the case. And they do it well in Buffy. So as soon as this friend came into it, I was like, well, I know who that is. Yep. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that was, that was no twist. Uh, yeah, she never annoyed me before. Uh, River, but she she annoys me now. She's terrible in this episode. Yeah, she's really really. And I don't she know whether is. they're trying to do like the quirky eccentric, like oh I'm post regeneration, everything is happening at once for me, sort of like they did in the eleventh hour with Matt Smith. Mm-hmm. But either Alex Kingston does can't pull it off, or they have led her astray through the direction. I think it's yeah, because she's I th- really I think intolerable. It's just written really badly. I think it's the writing. Yeah, yeah, like the entire season is written basically really badly. <laughs> yeah, all right, Eddie. Okay. <laughs> Uh, the doctor's daughter, the doctor's wife, let's kill Hitler. They're just liars. They're just lying to you. Yeah. That's it. (laughs) They do seem very um, eager to get Hitler out of the episode as soon as possible, don't they? Oh, yeah. But it's also just like the way he's depicted and the way they approach him. I get it. Like, what can they really do? Yeah. But if they were really like Rory and Amy more than the doctor, because I guess the doctor, for the doctor, Hitler is terrible, but... He's probably not even in top 10 of worst homicidal maniacs ever. Probably not. Like no. In the grand scale of the cosmos. Yeah. But for Amy and... I don't know. Do you ever get this? When you see a picture of Hitler, you get a bit unsettled. Yeah. If he's mean. like looking into camera. Yeah. I get a bit like... A, not, I don't like that. Yeah, not unsettled. But I do like... Oh, that's Hitler. I notice it, you know? You kind of stop for a moment. You're like, oh, that's Hitler. Yeah. If he's like looking into the lens, I get a bit unnerved. Like, uh, like I'm looking into eyes of pure evil sort of thing. I see. Okay. And that's not like an affectation. I genuinely mean that. I get, if there's a, a picture of, of a historical horror and they make an eye contact with the camera, I get a little bit unsettled. Yeah. And I just feel like Rory and Amy would be a little bit more unnerved if they were <laughs> actually with Hitler rather than making, okay, this is Hitler. Oh yeah. god, mate! Oh, this is deeply uncomfortable. Yeah, I'm gonna <laughs> put Hitler like in the this. cupboard now. Like, yeah, no, <laughs> shut yeah. up. Yeah, no, not not cool, not kosher. Yeah. So my alternate titles. Um, oh god, this is so bad. Um, Untermenschen, which uh, that was the word they used for like the under people. Yeah, uh, right, and yeah, okay. that's what, it works in this because they've got the people inside the body, right? So like yeah, the, sure, the under yeah, people, yeah. the Untermenschen, Sonder Commando, uh, and. One of them is Alishtetkopf, but I have no idea what that means or why I wrote it. Okay. So let All me right. just let me just find out what Alishtetkopf means. Well, while you do that, I'll sort of finish off going through all of my notes as well. Yeah, okay. I feel like the point of this episode, if this episode does indeed have a point, is it's supposed to be an origin story for River Song, right? Yeah, yes. Because we've we've introduced the idea that this is Melody Pond. In this episode, she is still Melody Pond. She hasn't adopted the mantle not the mantle, the mantra mm-hmm. and the name River Song yet. Yeah. Of Ring of, of River Song. Fucking just bear with me, audience. <laughs> um so yeah, like I can I, I can sort of understand that. Like the thrust of the episode is the doctor has to sort of establish enough of a rapport with Melody that she would become River Song. Yeah. But bear in mind the doctor has to override a lifetime of brainwashing. And he does it in about like 15 minutes or however long the episode goes on for after yeah. she comes into it. I feel like it should be, you know, make the whole episode about an origin story for River Song. Don't yeah. waste, like, the beginning of the episode being like, oh, it's this character called Mel's, you don't yeah. know. Don't fall into do a, a bit of comedy montage. with Hitler. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, Alistetkopf is the German title for Inside Out. Oh, okay. Mm. All right. So that's that's all that was. All right. Um, it bothers me a lot. And this is sort of a personal thing. I don't know if this is something either of you share, but it bothers me 
when shows use their own promotional material in the show. Uh, what do you mean? Give me well, I, I mentioned earlier that uh, Rose, Martha and Donna are alluded to in this episode. Yeah. And it's all very clearly the promotional stills that the show used. Yes. Yes, I know what you mean. That 100%. really bothers me. 100%. It was the same It was the same in uh, Far From Home when there's that mural of Iron Man at the beginning of the film and Spider-Man. It's at the beginning of the trailer as well. Yeah, yeah. Where you see like the picture of Iron Man like painted on the wall and Spider-Man's looking at it. That's the cover art for the 2008 Iron Man video game. Yes, yeah. So it's just, it completely shatters my it's immersion. Also, we've talked about it before, I'm sure, on the podcast. It my, my, It's in the similar camp as my niggle with in-world news shows using footage from the film. Yes, yes, yeah. it's very much the same yeah. principle. Yeah. yeah. I think that's basically it. Uh, that's Amy it. named uh, Mel's, no, Amy named Melody after Mel's, but yeah. Mel's is Melody. Time! Yeah, what came first? <laughs> I don't know. I couldn't The chicken care. or the egg. I couldn't the care less. Is the honest answer. That's the problem, okay. though, at this point, is I just, I don't care. I, I don't right. care less about plot holes and, you know. Yeah. That said, I give it a thumb sideways. How dare you? Just for, just for wrapping up the river thing. Okay. But it wraps it up badly. I know that. <laughs> I know. I know. But it's but, done. But is at that least the it's idea? done. But it's done. Yeah, okay. So, like, there was that. But, yeah, obviously it's a It's not done. There. She's in another episode. I know, but at the time I didn't know that. Uh, well, I knew she'd be in another episode, but I thought they were done with all that nonsense. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. The Dapper Doctor and the Sonic Cane. The fuck was that all about? No. He has, like, a Sonic Cane in this episode, and it, like, never comes back. No. Don't care. Again, don't care. I don't know, mate. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I, it's hard to summon any righteous fury because uh? how can you? Was that a pun? On. Did you say righteous fury? Righteous fury, yeah. I thought you said righteous fury. <laughs> no, I, I didn't. I, I thought didn't. you I thought you were doing a pun. Oh, I, oh, I can summon righteous fury. Don't worry about that. <laughs> yeah. Um, right. We done with that one? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Night terrors. I bet you love this one, didn't you, Eddie? I did. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking doll's house. Doll's. <laughs> <laughs> that was my first note. Oh, Eddie's gonna love this one. Yeah. I, I hate the look of it. Yeah, I do hate the look of it, but I do genuinely. No, no like that's the, the thing. Episode. Like, I also genuinely like the episode. Yeah, let's kill yeah. Hitler. For all of its flaws, it looked okay. The cinematography started to go back up again in quality. Yeah, this episode genuinely looks great. I yeah. love the look of this episode. Mm. Yeah, there's just something about. I don't know how they did it. I don't know whether it was the just the way everything was framed or whether they just found a good location or whether... They just sacked the previous guy. Maybe they just sacked the previous guy, yeah. But considering this is, like, on a filthy, grimy council estate and considering that most of the episode has, like, a green tint to it, Mm. this looks gorgeous. Well, it's sort of, uh, to what I alluded earlier about occasionally I resent the more provincial episodes, but then somehow this comes along and it was really welcome. Yeah. It it just shows like the merits of um, hiring a talented cinematographer instead of just using an expensive camera. Yeah, well, we've talked location... talk before about the, the 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 highest thing to which a cinematographer can aspire is making somewhere bleak look beautiful. Yes, and again, it's easy to make the Rio Bravo and the Grand Canyon look amazing because mm-hmm. they look amazing. Yeah, yeah. yeah, phone footage would it would look amazing on you know. Yeah, um, but no. So it's the mark of a, a great DP that this looks as good as it does. Yeah. Yes. Because this location shouldn't offer anything, any potential, mm. uh, cinematography-wise, no. but it looks stunning. Yeah. 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 Uh, I really like Daniel Mays in this. Yeah, I like Daniel Mays. Uh, I like him quite generally. Yes. They're, okay, I do really like this episode, but the first point is a criticism. There really are no rules in Doctor Who, are there? No. The, this idea, a child's pleas carrying across the universe... 
there's a lot of poetic logic in Doctor Who. Mm. Uh, yes. Things that sound good, but then they 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 translate as actual physical laws. Well, is that <laughs> is, um, uh, we, I've sort of mentioned before that Stephen Moffat's Doctor Who is a fairy tale. I think that's the philosophy he had going into it, right? And that's the philosophy that's sort of motivating a lot of the writing. And that does feel very fairy tale, I guess. Yeah. That a yeah. child is scared and the Doctor hears that cry in it, you know. Yeah. So yeah, it depends. Like, yes, the show should absolutely operate on some logical plane. It should mm. have a consistent logic to it. But also, if we are sort of making it a fairy tale, then there should be some allowance for, you know, like, oh, I, I guess I can suspend my disbelief a little bit here. Oh, yeah. It's not like a major gripe, but it is gen- like, okay, it's operating on poetic logic. You, you don't really... That doesn't have much of a place in science fiction, but it's fine. Yeah. Calling a bulldog Bernard is perverse. <laughs> Explain. You could, well, because there are St. Bernards. You can't call a bulldog Bernard. It's like calling a chihuahua, come here, poodle. No, you can't. You can't call a bulldog <laughs> Bernard. I'm sorry. Even if it looks like a Bernard. It does look like a Bernard. Though. It does. It does. It reminded me of that Dylan Moran bit about uh, a St. Yes. Bernard. Because it does <laughs> yeah, actually, know what you're on about. as long as the dog, you know, as far as the dog is concerned, he is dying. So it's just watching him. Descend. Yeah, sink into the, the floor, yeah. A um, St. Bernard swirling a glass of brandy as it watches you die. Yeah. Uh, it's a nice idea, a kid's fear of rejection, like that being the bedrock of the horror. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that's really good. I like that. Uh, the ending reminds me of the episode of Breaking Bad 51, which is an episode totally about something di- else, but whose ending reminds you of what's coming. Because at the end of uh, this episode, you get that the sing-song culminating yeah, the kind of Doctor's the gonna rhyme, die yeah. I like that a lot I like it taking you reminding you of the arc of the season mm-hmm. it's more again it's more poetry than narrative because yeah. is that the actual song <laughs> or is that like <laughs> the show's poetic imposition on it of even further doctor yeah is that I think the that's, song okay I think that's right. sort of like a blink ending where it's almost non-diegetic you know that's fine that's fine yeah, yeah. um that's all I got, really. I really liked it. It's my favourite episode of the series. Oh, Me really? too. Me too. Oh, okay. Interesting. I like it a lot. It's not my favourite, but I do like this episode. I'm glad that they specifically say that around about puberty, George is going to become a problem again. Because, yeah. yes, of course. Yeah, he is. <laughs> He's going to be a fucking nightmare. Yeah. Uh, my alternate titles, uh, The Dolly Problem and uh, my fa- my favourite one, Spurious George. Fair. <laughs> okay. So that's yeah, where I'd I go. Like uh, thumbs up? Yep. Yep. Okay. Thumbs up. The Girl Who Waited. Yes. This is another stunning looking episode because it's just medical white for like most of the scenery. That's interesting because I've got exactly the opposite opinion. Oh, really? I think it feels really cheap. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is clearly a... Um, uh, Cost-cutting episode. Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's yeah sort of like this season's equivalent of Midnight, I guess, where yeah. it's sort of like, okay, we need a to... A bottle sort of thing. Yeah, almost like a bottle episode. But I think that's one of the things that really works about it is there's no faff. There's no... Yeah, there's no faff. I'll give you that. It's quite a contrivance to make it a Dr. Light episode, though. That, I think uh, it's okay. Too Like, it affects things with two hearts. Like, that's a oh, bit... Oh, also, fucking planet-wide quarantine. Yeah, that too. Yeah, that, Fucking that too. throwing that out there. Um, okay, I know we've said the TARDIS takes him where he needs to go and all that. Yeah. But the Doctor should not have a license to pilot the TARDIS. He's just terrible. Because, like... <laughs> it doesn't really. He stole it. You know what I mean? Like, license in, in a more abstract sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, he went to go get Amy again. Was it 12 years, however long it was? Something like that. Yeah. Uh, in this one, they're trying to get to the time stream where their Amy is, and they end up with one that's 26 years older or whatever. Yeah. 36. Is it 36? Yeah, it's 36. I think, I think she's in her 50s when they find her again. It's 36, I think. Um, 
it's like, okay, I get it. But, you know, there's actually a cost to getting the time wrong. Like, people lose their lives while they're waiting for you to come. You just, you get someone more qualified to drive it because he can't drive to save his fucking life, the doctor. Hang on. Explain to me again what your criticism is here. Well, they're, they're aiming to go to the time stream with their Amirs, aren't they? Yes. But they end up going to one where it's 36 later, th- 36 years later, and she's much more ragged and rugged. Okay. And then that reminded me of, like, in the 11th hour, where he goes back to get her, but he's miscalculated. Yes. And it's actually 12 years. It's like, that might be a, a jape and a joke for the Doctor, but there's, like, a real human consequence to him slightly mixing yeah, up Yeah, that's his fair enough. Plankton. And the episode does sort of explore that. Yeah. Because uh, when they do re-encounter that, that Amy, she's lost all faith in the Doctor. Yeah. But she hates him now because he left her behind. Is this your favourite of the series? Concerned. I think it is. Okay, I don't like it. No, neither do I. <laughs> I don't okay, like it. Okay, I, I, am, I, am, I am rather upset, I'll be honest with you. <laughs> I don't like it. I think the prosthetics are quite bad. She doesn't look old. Oh, I don't think they look too... I thought they were um, very well judged. Oh, I, no. Taking, taking the, um, the actual quality of the prosthetics out of the equation now. Mm. Like, yeah, she's probably like in her 40s or her 50s. So they haven't gone for like old age makeup. No, she looks in that sense, like okay. But she does. She looks like she's kind of the same age that's just had a harder life. Well, yeah. <laughs> that's what she looks like. She doesn't act older either. Or not old enough to See, me. See, I had this for it thing to feel of, like I felt yeah. that this enti- the entire premise of the episode could have been stopped in about a millisecond because there's no way in hell, after everything they've been through, that Rory would walk through the same door with the Doctor without amy by his side so i I reckon it is more believable that the two of them would have gone through the door and the doctor would have had to have found the both of them than having to find the problem is though this episode is sort of about reinforcing the relationship between rory and amy like it's directly exploring Mm -hmm. how they feel about each other you know that's kind of what saves the day is amy's love for rory that's how they're able to pull the younger amy out of her own time stream did we need that again but also you you can't operate on a principle of the characters make decisions they otherwise wouldn't just because it's convenient for our theme. Or what do they make? What decisions I'm, I'm just then? supporting Eddie's point there about uh, he feels like the Doctor would go through... Uh, Rory would go through with Amy rather than okay. going by uh, himself. No, I, I, no I, I wouldn't agree with that. Okay. Well, but I, don't, you, I don't feel like that's, a, like that's a decision the character makes. It's like, oh, Rory would never do that. I so can't, no, Amy's just going back to get her phone. Like, I can't oh. remember. that. That's just make me making a broader point about that idea of... Like, you can't make a smart character dumb just when it uh, okay. suits you. But yeah, that's not really in relation to this episode. I understand your um, your criticism, Eddie, about, like, do they need to do another episode where it's sort of reinforcing the relationship between Amy and Rory again? I understand that. I do feel like this is one of the better examples of it being done, though. Yeah, I just... Uh, at, at this point, like... We've gone through the whole waiting 2,000 years. Yeah. Did we really need to know that she bloody loves him? Like obviously at this point yeah we do get the point so, so why yeah. do i need to know again well no because amy like rory waited two thousand years for amy i think it's more about yeah, uh showing amy. that amy loves rory than rory loves yeah, amy we, we know rory loves amy that's the obvious whole thing of the dream lord where she literally killed herself because she didn't want a world without him yeah did we need it again no no i okay yeah i, th- no, I, th- I think that's fair I, th- it's fair that it feels like it's treading old ground in that respect but as I say, I think this is a better exploration of that idea. There's a sentiment in this episode that's sort of expressed that I actually really, really like. And that is that uh, the the two Amys are sort of having a conversation with each other. And they sort of say that, like, 
is something like Amy says, like, have you ever met someone who's like gorgeous, but then you get to know them and they're actually like a bit dull or they, there's not much depth to them or, you know, they're, they're good for a laugh, but they're not someone you'd want to spend the rest of your life with. And then you meet someone you think like, yeah, they're okay. And then you get to know them and their personality just becomes them. Like they become more attractive because of who they are as opposed to how they look. And yes. then they both say, Rory is the most beautiful man I've ever met. Yeah. I really, really like that. Well, okay. That. I mean, as a sentiment, I agree with it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but it doesn't feel like a particularly interesting or unique uh, or profound thing to say. Well, I don't know. Maybe it's because um, I think this was probably the first instance where I that sentiment had been expressed to me. Okay. So, so yeah, I don't like know whether it's just because that's the first place I heard it expressed and that's something that really resonated with me or whether it's just because I feel that the, the sentiment itself is well expressed, if not profound. It's fair enough. But yeah, and I, I I maintain the fact that this I think this is a really good looking episode. I think the stark white okay that that sort of pen, that sort of is around most of the episode looks really really good. I think the cinematography is really good as well. Okay. Like when when the t- the two Amys are sort of having a conversation through the looking glass and they're sort of almost superimposed on each other. I don't know. I just think this episode has a really good uh, look to it. I mean, you know, like I said, I was offended by the blandness of it and it, it felt cheap. And then I did look up afterwards and found out that it was an episode to cut costs. Yeah. And that made sense to me. Yeah. But that's usually when Doctor Who is operating at its strongest though. Blink, okay. Midnight. These are well, all tiny, the, tiny episodes. Not in, not in this case for me. No. Okay. Maybe it's because I don't care about the characters, but the sentimentality irritated me. Rory sobbing when she can't come through the door, all that. I just... I just had no time for it. Okay. And that's not because I'm a hardened soul, because I, I cry probably more than anybody I know at films and television. I'm really right. easy to make cry. Yeah. I just, I didn't in this. Mm. Um, okay. I also like, I also kind of like that the Doctor's a bit of a bastard at the end of the episode. Like, he promises old Amy a place in the TARDIS and then just shuts her out. Yeah. And then he says to Rory, like, oh, fine, you have to pick which wife you want. Yeah, that's okay. I actually think that would have been a nice, um, if this episode had, if they'd done a little bit of work on this episode, I think this would have been a nice final episode for Amy and Rory. Amy right. sort of, um, a similar thing happens where the doctor leaves Amy behind or she thinks that he leaves him, her behind and she completely loses her faith in the doctor and Rory has to sort of ultimately choose which wife do I want and he decides, do you know what? Amy is Amy. I'm going to stay with this older Amy and we're going to live the rest of our natural lives together. Right. Not exactly like that, but yeah, I think if you, if you did a little bit of work on this episode, this would have been a really, really nice because yeah. they, they they go out together. They go out on their terms, you know? And also, it's a nice connection that when the, when she first travels with the Doctor, um, Amy's like, oh, I've grown up now. You know, the little girl who waited for you, I've grown up. And the Doctor goes, well, I'll soon fix that. Mm. So it's nice that Amy left the show because she outgrew the Doctor, you know? Yeah. I think well, that would have th- been a nice way to... I think because he has two companions that are married now, Yeah, I think the writers feel an obligation to do stories like that where mm. it's about the relationship, you know, um, which is completely understandable. The samurai sword in slow motion, that's a bit... Eh. Yeah, well, you know, it's not perfect. <laughs> it has its problems. Yeah. No, I, I I would broadly, like, recommend this episode. I, I do like Night Terrors. And I do think that is, you know, that looks great and everything. But yeah, I would say for me, this is the best episode of the series. That's interesting because my, my penultimate note is I'm not honouring this episode by thinking too long about a pun. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Well, fuck. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. I don't, for, whatever, for whatever reason, it didn't click with me, this one. Okay. I don't hate it. Mm. I think fatigue is setting in, was setting in at this point. Yes. That's partly to blame. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, so my alternate titles. 
This is quite difficult, this one. Okay. <laughs> not very flattering. You've got Dower slash Sour of Scotland. Right. Celtic Cross. Despond. Unt. <laughs> and then <laughs> my favourite ones, Scotty Dog. <laughs> right. And Spoiled Ginger. That's my favourite one. I'm disappointed in you, Sam. Why? An apple aperture a day, surely. But that doesn't make any sense. Well, no, because Apple Aperture is the name of the planet that they're on. Yeah. And that old saying, an apple a day keeps the doctor away. And the doctor doesn't participate in, he doesn't go into Apple Aperture. Oh, keeps the doctor away. Okay, yeah, that's, yeah fair enough. Yeah. Nah, nah. I'm disappointed that you didn't come up with that, Sam. You're <laughs> no, better than this. I think when I had spoiled ginger, I was like, oh, I like that. So I stuck, I stuck to the theme of making fun of Amy being ugly as an old woman. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> well, thumbs down. Yeah. I, I completely disagree. <laughs> okay. Wholeheartedly. As I say, there's so little good in Series 6, we should celebrate the good when it comes. We just disagree on the good, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Well, you're wrong, but okay. <laughs> no. The God Complex. Mm-hmm. Another really good-looking episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think that's helped by its location. Because yes. it feels almost The Shining, doesn't it? It feels kind it's of... It's Kubrickian! Yeah. Yeah. Okay, let's start with the bad stuff. Don't bring the angels in for a cameo. Just don't yeah. do that. Nope. They're better than that. Um, that might <laughs> be the only bad thing I've got to say about it. Uh, no, and uh, there's one little detail toward the end of the episode. Amy asks, "Is it like, is it a minotaur? Is it an alien? Is it an alien minotaur?" Oh, that's not the question I thought I'd be asking this morning. Why not? That's quite. <laughs> yeah, that's traveling with the doctor. Yeah, that's quite prepared mundane. to ask, ask yeah, anything that's, in know? the grand scheme of things. That's quite an everyday question. Mm. Is that yeah, alien it's got a blind minotaur? Quest. Yeah, yeah. Um, it took me a while to realize it was David Williams. Really, really? Yeah, it did. It did. I don't know what it was. He pulled a face. I was like, oh, that's that's David Williams. Yeah. Uh, I really liked the idea of a submissive species. Yeah, that's yeah. fun. That's a fun idea. But I think they missed a the trick by not giving him a French accent. Because <laughs> <laughs> come on, that's what uh, he was. Yeah, idea. okay. <laughs> Maybe, um, yeah. I really liked the, uh, the uh, you know, the mantra is glory to insert name here. I really yeah, liked yeah. that. Yeah. I think that's great. <laughs> Uh, that's it. I really liked yeah. it. I thought it was. I thought it was good. I, I'm a big okay. fan. And the thing is, is when because you had the bit with the clown in the room. Yeah. And I yes. instantly, when we were watching that, I instantly thought of you and Pennywise, and that would be your room. Well, I saw Pennywise when I was tripping on acid once. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a hell, hell of a hell of a way to uh, confront him, wasn't it? It was. Well, a tiny. Yeah. But basically, basically, I was so anxious that in my acid state, I was going to encounter an evil clown or Penny, mm. or Pennywise in particular. I was so worried it was going to happen that I went to the bathroom on my own, obviously. And then when I was there, I just thought, well, now would be the time that he would show himself because you're on your own. And yeah. this is when it would be most terrifying. And I thought so hard about that happening that it just happened. Yeah. I, I saw him and we just nodded at each other and I left the bathroom. I <laughs> <laughs> was like, yeah. I, I found that funny though with the clown like they walk into the room and the clown isn't there for either of them mm. so the premise of the episode is obviously this hotel is full of rooms and in the rooms are the biggest fear of the people who get sent there it's Orwellian it's room 101 basically yeah, yeah. exactly yeah. but the clown isn't for Amy or the woman who goes in there yeah. so they're just like is he for you no he's not and then they just stand by the door so yeah. it's like there's this sad clown in the room that's just <laughs> like he's you he can't scare them so he's just sitting there like looking pathetic <laughs> just miserable yeah yeah this is funny uh, right the alternate titles are The Shine at All Faith Mealing uh, Labyrinth Check Out that's the obvious one yeah, yeah. Um, Guest of Faith Slake and See uh, my favourite one Doom Service okay yeah I uh, prefer the God Complex 
honestly. Th- these aren't meant to be better than the title. No, I know they're not. Yeah. I know yeah. they're not. But yes. no, I think the God Complex is is just a good title. It's okay. Episode. Yeah, I think it's it's a good title in and of itself. It could have it could have been used to better use in a different episode. I think. Yeah, I feel like they they do stretch it a little bit. Like, oh, Doctor, you've got a god complex. It's like, yeah, you're stretching it a little bit. Well, a god complex, it's just because it's the complex of a god, isn't it? Well, and no, because it's. I think it's supposed to be double meaning, isn't it? It's supposed to be. It's supposed to be that, that it's the complex of a god, and also yeah. the, the Doctor has a god complex. Yeah. Because he tells Amy and Rory, uh, you're not going to travel with me anymore because it's too dangerous. Mm-hmm. Like, that realisation that he does have a god complex and that his misadventures will get Amy and Rory killed is what sort of motivates him to buy them a house and a car and say like right there you go go and live a domestic life without me yeah this yeah. this doesn't feel like the episode that would have warranted that sort of reaction from the doctor no yeah it does feel like uh, quite an everyday episode mm-hmm. i suppose that's my one major gripe with it there are better there are episodes you've already done that would have been better candidates for this is too dangerous amy and rory you have to stay yeah home now but no yeah broadly like the episode it's my third and final thumbs up of the series it's right. also a thumbs up from me Okay. Yeah, thumbs up from me as well. Okay, closing time. Yep. Amy's a model. What's that about? Yep. Yeah, I was fucking quick, wasn't I? Yep. Yeah. Is there any, any, any suggestion that she was ever in that sphere at all? Nope. No, no. Well, she was a kissogram. That's the last yeah. job she had, right? Yeah. Which, I mean, I mean, I guess, you know, what the hell kind of job can you get if your main job was a kissogram? Yeah. It feels weird to leapfrog to model, though, for like... But this is, but this is the thing, friend. right? Between the god complex and closing time the doctor has been on his own for 200 years right yeah i don't know how long it's been for amy and rory but it couldn't have been more than a couple of months surely like a year at most is that enough time for her to become a model that's so famous it's- that she ha- her picture is like in stores and she's getting autographs from people? i am not familiar with the vagaries of the modeling world but it does feel like it would take you more than a year to a be in such a pre- prestigious position that you become the face of a prominent brand yeah or B, that you're such a famous model that children know who you are. Because this yes. isn't like a... You see models for perfume and stuff all the time. You don't know who the fuck they are. You wouldn't recognize them if you saw them yeah. in the street. Like, we could name how many models we know probably on one hand, right? If that. C- count on one hand. So, I say, yeah. No, I, don't know I mean, it, I'll say it's on. two years, not one year. It's two years. Yeah. Right. So, at the, start, Still. At, at the start of the series, they haven't seen him in two years. And this is supposed to be the day before... He goes to Lake Utah, so it's two years. Well, thank he's, you, he's, Doctor he's, Who, for making that really fucking clear to me. Yeah, that wasn't clear because he's he's doing a victory lap again, isn't he? He's seeing all his old friends before. Yeah, he, yeah, yeah, yeah. And apparently, Craig is one of his friends. Apparently, yeah. I, I guess Corden was available. Corden was um, available, and apparently, the first one was quite. The lodger was quite popular. So was it? I don't. I don't understand. It was pop- that, they said it was popular enough. That's why they bought him back. Okay. Maybe maybe this was when was when did Gavin and Stacey stop airing? Oh. 2010 originally. Or nine, oh, so it would nine. have been the final year of Gavin and Stacey. Yeah, it would have been in, just after Gavin and Stacey. Yeah. So maybe this people is pre- were like pre the jump to America. Yeah, that yeah, as well. Yeah, just before. Yeah. But like, oh, we need more Corden. Give us more Corden. And they're like, all right, we'll do another episode with James Corden. I guess. Well, the episodes are farce, basically, isn't it? Yep. Yes. Two two men. Well, one man, one time lord, and a baby yeah. uh, struggling to look after the baby. It's bad. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's a bad good. episode. Uh, I thought if they kill the baby, that adds some spice to it. 
It wastes the Cybermen yet again. Yeah, still still not taken with a Cyberman. Well, yeah, this wasn't the episode that was going to change your no. mind about the Cybermen. But you say that quite, you say that every time they come into an episode. So what will be the episode that will endear me to the no, Cybermen? No, I haven't said that about every episode, surely. But certainly the last one. I think my favourite Cyberman episode is with Peter Capaldi, so... Right. Oh, I know the one you're on about. Yeah, we got a while before we get to that. Oh, yeah, yeah, a long while. Um, but, like, the first Cyberman episode, the two-parter in the parallel universe... I know you didn't yeah. like that episode, yeah. Sam, but that's, like, a good Cyberman story. Right. That is just a case of you're not gelling with the Cybermen, as opposed to the Cybermen are... Like, it's actively bad. <laughs> you can't say You can't say that. You can't say the problem with the Cybermen is the... It's is just, me. Sam's the problem it's, with the Cybermen. Well, no, it is you! No, it's it's Cybermen were a good it's episode, and you didn't it's, like it. It's subjective. You can't. The Cybermen aren't good or bad. The Cybermen just are. Whether they're good or bad is your opinion. Right, My okay. opinion is they're bad. Your opinion is they're good. Okay. Well, I didn't you can't, say you that. can't. You can't say they're good. The episodes that they first featured in were good, and therefore, because you didn't think they were good, you're the problem. No, no, no. My, no, my point is was. That? This is a bad Cyberman episode. So yes. it's perfectly reasonable that you would not like the Cybermen based on this episode. Yeah, but even saying that... The, that's, no, 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 no. no, no. That's an opinion that you just voiced. This is a bad Cyberman episode. By your metric. By okay. other people's metric, this is a is good it, Cyberman okay, episode. Eddie, is it a bad Cyberman episode? Yes. Eddie's not yeah. everyone else, is he? No, but that's two opinions that say the same thing. You know what an so? objective opinion is, Sam? It's enough subjective opinion. There's no such thing as an objective opinion, you fucking exactly. idiot. Exactly. So the what are you talking thing about? We have is just a lot of subjective opinions that line up. Yeah, but you can't you can't say this is a bad Cyberman episode, and then when I bring up other Cyberman episodes, you go, "Oh no, they, that one was good, but you just didn't like it." So the problem is you. No, my point was yes. Rise of the Cyberman and Age of Steel is a good Cyberman episode. It's a good Cyberman story. By what standard? By my standard right. and by so Eddie's so, standards as okay. well. Maybe I can't so remember in, Eddie. In the by opinion the of you standard. two. But by the modern standard, by the modern yes. standard that is considered listen, a listen. good one. But God, I'm also right. ta- yeah, I'm also taking the broad opinion of the show yeah. into account, like people's even broad if, opinion. Of even the show. if the entire fan base and everyone who watched it thought that it was a good Cyberman episode, that does not make it a good Cyberman episode. My point is okay. I think if you ask most people, I don't care. Let me finish. <laughs> I don't care if I if ask. If you most ask people. most people, yes. if closing time is a good is a good depiction of the Cybermen, yes. you know, would would you I'm like the Cybermen that. based on their appearance in closing time? I think most people would say no. Not disputing. If you ask the same thing about Rise of Cybermen Age, Age of Steel, people would say yes. But you didn't like the Cybermen. Yes. So I am simply saying that clearly for whatever reason, the Cybermen are not gelling with you because you've seen them maybe not at their best, but you've seen them in a good light yes. and it didn't like it just didn't connect with you. Right. Okay, we agreed okay. on that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's all my. That's that's the only point I was making. Right. Okay. But like you, you've seen the Cybermen in a somewhat positive light, and you don't like them. So clearly, you're not like you know. You like the Daleks. You like they're, the Weeping Angels. Okay. Yeah. You don't like the Cybermen. That's just no. how it is. Yes. That's yeah. right. There we go. Right. Okay. But they are shit in this episode, mainly because they did. They have decided for whatever reason. That James Corden is a worthy leader. Yeah. So dare I say they were doomed to fail from the start if they thought that James Corden would lead them into a new age. It's well, a what is the, the the thinking behind making him their leader? He's, he's smart. But it's it's a very precise thing, right? He, it, no, he's smart. He finds their base, therefore he's smart, therefore he can be leader. Yeah. Right. 
Also, okay. he tries to trick them into thinking that a uh, price scanner is a gun. Yeah. And the Cybermen go, you are intelligent. You will lead us into a new age of cyber. And then a baby cries yeah. and he's no longer a Cyberman, even though he's partially converted. Yeah. I mean, you, you've talked, but you talked in the, uh, Night Terror, Sam, about uh, the show operating on poetic logic. Yeah. Like, clearly this episode is saying that, like, oh, love conquers all, right? That old Sentimental adage. crap, yeah. 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 But it really doesn't work here. No. It's it's pretty... It doesn't help that the Cybermen specifically say all emotions have been deleted. Mm-hmm. And then, immediately after that, Craig's love for his baby is what brings him back to... What brings his humanity back. Yeah. Like, don't erase the emotions and then say, oh, the reason he defeated the Cybermen was because of emotion. Yeah. That's just a contradiction. Well, it, I, it's his nature fighting against the machine, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. That's the idea. Yeah. Yeah, no, it, it doesn't work. No. No. Alternate titles, sentimental and mandroid, and it gets a thumbs down. Yep. Yeah, I guess a thumbs down from me. Yeah. Also, uh, very. Uh, we mentioned about. I mentioned earlier about the fact that it's been two hundred years since the God Complex for the Doctor. Mm-hmm. I generally like this idea that Stephen Moffat, like all of a sudden, Stephen Moffat is is like sort of directly saying the Doctor is having adventures without us. Yeah. Like in the Russell T. Davis era, you'd be forgiven for thinking that the episodes follow on directly from each other. Mm. But in this episode, it's like, oh no, the Doctor's been on, he's been travelling since we last saw him and Amy and Rory like go home and then they go adventuring and then they come home again. But 200 years is way too fucking long. Are you seriously telling us that nothing of importance happened to Matt Smith in those 200 it's years? It's too long with respect to the fact that it's it's the anti-penultimate episode. Yeah. So if they had spread 200 years over the course of this season, I can live with that. Yeah. But the fact is like, oh yeah, we've got to skip 200 years. Yes. Fuck it, let's just, let's do it. Yeah. And that, that that's some nice um, audio drama uh, filler. <laughs> the, the 200 yeah. years there. Because David Tennant, canonically speaking now, he was the Doctor for about eight years, right? Right. And he was a completely different person when he quote-unquote, died than when he was born, Yeah, right? We talked about this when we talked about the specials, the the radical shift in David Tennant's character. And that was over eight years. Yeah. 200 years of travelling, Matt Smith's basically the same by the end of it, you know? Yeah. It doesn't... It's too much. 200 years is just too much. Yep. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Okay, The Wedding of River Song. Oh, God, yeah, okay. Yeah, right. Okay. Is this the most... I know we've got stuff to come as well, but is this the most nonsensical just thing... <laughs> well, it's just it just literally feels like oh we'll do this we'll do this we'll do that just fucking throwing shit at you well, well let yeah. me spout my rant <laughs> and then you see what you think about it right I understand the thinking but there's no need to do these big series mysteries or arcs yeah that require these convoluted finales mm. I'm never excited I'm never interested I'm never engaged it's so Lost was mysterious, right? Mm-hmm. But the thing with Lost was, even if you weren't getting answers, there was character and there was drama. This is just waiting for it to explain itself and then clear the palette for the next adventure. Yeah. The thing with Doctor Who, I'm always having to mentally recalibrate or reboot. Uh, like, oh, they've resolved that convolution or we can start again now. Mm. Like, the, as far as I'm concerned, the next chance I'm giving it is Capaldi. That's like the next proper reboot for me. Okay. Um, especially when there are episodes written for earlier series and pushed back. I think there's a couple this season that were written for earlier seasons. Maybe the Curse of oh, the Black Spots. Yeah, another later. Well, that was supposed well, to air in a different place to it did, or there was. Something. Oh, and and the um the hotel one as well. That was written for an earlier series. That was written for yes. series five. Yeah, it just kind of shows you how how muddled the storytelling is. Yeah. Everything is everything, and every when is every when, and everywhere is everywhere. How can that possibly actually be realized? 
Yes. It just begs infinite questions and not in like a tantalizing way. No. It's yeah. just, well, that's too stupid to even be. <laughs> the one, the one nice thing yeah. is we get a we get a, a Charles Dickens cameo, and it's played by the same guy who played him in The Unquiet Dead. There's that. It's like, yeah. oh, okay, what? That's a nice detail. Simon Callow, right? Yeah. Yes, it's nice that you did that. But as we were saying, boundaries are important. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't resemble anything coherent. No. <laughs> it's lost all form, all shape. It's just nothing now. Yeah. It's just I don't, like. The, it, it's crystallized a train going into a pyramid that's area 51 or whatever 52. or two right okay that's meant to be a cool striking image but it's not it's just it's just arbitrary and yeah. irritating um he says uh at one point quite emphatically fixed points can't be rewritten didn't he do that himself hasn't he done that himself a couple of times has he well like with the uh, water on mars yes but she then kills herself, thus re-establishing the fixed point in time. But it's not, is it? Because it's still different circumstances. It's still, yeah, the circumstances still are different, but the her death was the motivating factor for her granddaughter. So what are the rules then? I think the... Let's not get into it. No, let's not get into it. Yeah, yeah, no, no. Like, no, no, this yeah. is bad. Yeah. I don't want to be I don't want to be making excuses for yeah. it, but I, 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 I would wager the, the counter-argument is... The events themselves can't change, but maybe details of them can. Okay. So the woman from the waters of Mars still has to die, but it being suicide rather than murder, then that's It's it's one of those things, though, isn't it? It's the butterfly effect thing. Like, the the reality is, if you change just one or two little circumstances, it changes everything. It just does. Mm -hmm. It can't help but do that. Um, There's a moment in this episode that we're meant to think is, like, emotionally awesome, (laughs) but it's just pathetic, and that is... When uh, she's saying how much it would hurt her to kill the doctor. And he's like, more than every living thing in the universe. And she goes, yes. Are you meant to go, ooh, the feeling? Okay. But that's just pathetic. It's just have some perspective. Were you supposed to? Yeah, yeah. of course. Okay. She goes, she goes, yes. And you're meant to think, yeah, I get that. Right, okay. But yes, it's more bad green screen when they go yep. back to him being killed by her on the... Yeah. By the side of the lake. Yeah, that's, that's some bad green right, screen. Right, okay. So... River was brainwashed by Madame Caveria. Is that the name Kaverian. of the Eyepatch woman? Caverian. 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 Caver- I Fuck it, I don't care. The, the <laughs> okay. Eyepatch lady. Mm-hmm. Yes. Brainwashed River for her entire life. No, no. She brainwashed River as a child to want to kill the Doctor. Mm-hmm. Then River does. Then the Doctor unbrainwashes unbra- her. Then Madame Caveria just lets River have a life for a while. Like, she gets mm-hmm. her doctorate and everything. Then... She and the silence, like, pluck River out of her own time stream and put her in the astronaut suit, mm-hmm. which is in control of River. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So why the fuck did you need to brainwash River if you were going to put her in a in a suit that was going to do all the work? This is Exhibit A. This typifies asking any question is just a redundancy. Yeah. Yeah. Because this episode in particular is just so stupid. Yeah. Like there's no way to even start. Do you know what I mean? It's like rearranging. Yeah, I think you, when Titanic. you said it was shapeless, I think that pretty much nailed it. I just I don't yeah. even know what to latch onto with this episode. It's just yeah. not. It's just noise. It's nonsense. It's just noise. Yeah. yeah. It's um, whose perspective are we in when they find out that the doctor, what the doctor whispered? I hate it when things do that. When uh, the show is the show is just deciding it doesn't want you to know. Not for very long, to be fair. But I I've, I've got a problem with that narrative technique if you're in a certain character's perspective and they don't know the answer to something and so you don't I hate it when everyone but you knows but the show is just deciding you're not going to know for now do you know what I mean Mm -hmm. 
I, I, it's cheating. Like, whose perspective are we in when that happens? Also, it doesn't you help know? that um, Matt, when Matt Smith whispers what he whispers into River's era, e- era? <laughs> into era. <laughs> I mean, in this episode, it's, it's it could have been who. possible it that he whispered work. into yeah, an yeah. era, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, but when he whispers into her ear, his mouth is like on the side of her face that's facing the camera. So we can lip read what he's saying. Right. Okay. If you wanted, to, I don't actually know if the lip reading matches up, but you could just lip read him, you know? Yeah, yeah. Really, you should have him whispering on the other side of River. But then again, Amy and Rory would be able to see him, so I don't know what the fuck. Yeah. You know? I don't think you need to. I think you just need to accept that it's bad. It's terrible writing. It's <laughs> no. This it's is really writing. bad. This is a really bad. I, because like I said, I, well, I haven't said this yet. Ignore that. Um, I know what's to come. Eddie knows what's to come. Yeah. So this does get explained, I think. Like, what the fuck is going on? Like, where the eyepatch woman came from and who the silence are and the broad reason they want to kill the doc. Because they still haven't actually fucking explained why they want the doctor dead. They still didn't explain... Like, the TARDIS explosion isn't really explained this series. It was just one of the attempts... Like, that was an attempt to kill the doctor. This series is the second attempt to kill the doctor. Right. So series seven does sort of wrap it up i guess if you say so but that's the thing i had to i had to look this up i had to read through wiki pages to find out if there even was a connection because i just i genuinely can't even retain this information i i read the wikipedia for this episode the plot to make sure to see if there was something happening yeah it's um the thing we're talking about palate cleansers and i kind of even if it compromises even if it leaves a massive hole a massive question in the show what's with Madame Kaverian and the silence, what's going on here? I'd sooner they just didn't even fucking bother and just carried on doing something different. Yeah. I don't want them to explain it. It's going to bug me if they feel the need to wrap all this stuff up. Just move on. It just, you've, you fucked up here. Just start yeah. again and do, um, right. I appreciate the instinct to make uh, the title of the show uh, not just relevant, but like central. But it feels like a stretch yep. to say uh, that that's the definitive question of the series is Doctor Who. It's not the definitive question. The oldest question. question in the universe, yeah. Yeah, it's not the def- definitive question of the series. There is no definitive question to the series. Not even, right. the, and I, I genuinely mean that. It's not even the casual one, right? There's things like Lost where the definitive question is basically what's going on. Mm. <laughs> then there are shows like The Sopranos or Breaking Bad or The Shield, which are more abstract, which are... What's the cost of this? What is the end result of living like this, of pursuing, you know, this kind of life? Doctor Who doesn't have that. The only question now is how bad can this get? That is the definitive question of the series. How long can this possibly last? Because it's Mm. an endless renewal. At a certain point, because he's the 11th, isn't it? Was it 13? Was the original regeneration you could have? Yeah. At a certain point, you could, the central question could have been what happens after that final regeneration, right? Yes. That what is the end result? How does the Doctor truly die? Now that's been demolished. I know that is demolished as the show goes on. Well, that's why I said in The Impossible Astronaut, remember that Matt Smith is regenerating. Yes, yeah. And remember that in uh, Let's Kill Hitler and I think The Girl Who Waited, he once again brings up regeneration as yeah. a thing he can do. Just, just keep all this like... Okay. pickling in the back of your mind dramas need a question to answer or a promise to keep to be a mm-hmm. drama mm-hmm. they just yeah. do this doesn't have anything it doesn't because where's it going where's Doctor well, Who going could that be um, the ending of this episode where it's like Doctor Who is the oldest question in the universe could that be seen as the show trying to give itself something to answer well yeah, maybe going forward but it felt when it was said it was it was flagging it up as like this is what we've all been thinking right 
the central question we've all been asking is Doctor Who. I've never thought that ever. No, Doctor Who is just the name of the show. Yeah, it, yeah. He's not even called. He's called the Doctor. That's what he's called. Yeah. And aren't we given to understand that the they take the kind of designation that befits their character? Yeah. So he heals people. The Master dominated people. Yes. So that, yeah. Yeah. It's kind of it's poetic logic again in a sense. It doesn't it doesn't have a tangible reality to it. No. So I'm not thinking Doctor Who. What's his surname? I don't. That does not even nope. register. Yeah. So yeah, the show is going nowhere, unfortunately, and it's in series twelve now. What's the end point of this? Where's it going? Hopefully, and, series thirteen. Any Hopefully good show not series thirteen, Eddie? Given uh, what Chibnall's all my favorite showrunners right ever, all of them have demanded end dates for their shows because mm. they know there's only so much mileage in a story and you have to you have to be able to see the horizon <laughs> you know you have to see <laughs> yeah. an end point here. there isn't one it's just going to keep going on and on and on forever yeah <laughs> and that depresses me a bit <laughs> well it wouldn't depress me as much if it meant we would get a series three every year but if we're getting like yeah Series yeah. six and worse. Then, but even if yeah. you're getting a series three every year, still, I still need to know that it has an end point. You know? Yeah, that's fine. But like, you know, it's it it would still be you know, oh, there's something broadly connect. There's some like vague connective tissue. But for the most part, this is just it's this adventure this week, and then it's this adventure this week. Yeah, but they are serializing it more and more and intro- introducing these arcs and these bigger questions about the series. Yeah, and I just think to get big about it, life wouldn't be worth living if it went on forever, right? No. The the thing that it injects meaning into life is the fact that it ends. Mm. And that applies to everything as well. Mm-hmm. You ha- there has to be the knowledge that it's going to end at some point. Yes. And this doesn't have that. And so it's sort of, it's without virtue. It's just well, okay. I guess it's going to go on forever then. Cuz it, it right if if you knew you were going to live forever, would you bother doing anything? Probably not. No, probably not. Yeah. There'd be no motivation. Well, I'll do it factor. tomorrow. I'll do it tomorrow. Yeah, There'd yeah. be no motivating factor. And dramas need a motivating factor that is answering the question, the central question of the show. Okay. And this doesn't have one. So what you're saying <laughs> is that series six is broadly a thumbs down. I am saying that, yes. Okay. All right. uh, my ul- quickly, my alternate titles for uh, this episode were... <laughs> I just got to the point where my alternate title was, Fuck you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that was one but then I, I did I was going to leave it at that but I thought no I will come up with one uh, Doculus that's nice in the sense he's in the eye as well as the fact that Karen Gillan is in Oculus I believe oh okay yeah mm-hmm. alright so docu- but oh fu- yeah also we get Pond Amelia Pond we get a James Bond reference do we get a James Bond reference yeah because she says Pond Amelia Pond and there's like James Bond-esque music playing oh really I didn't yeah. pick up on that because what I was trying to I was waiting for an episode where I could name it Pond Ames Pond but um, right. I can't do that now I guess this is the closest you're going to get this is the closest I'm going to get okay yeah. fuck you is my title yeah. for this episode <laughs> uh, my response to it and it's attitude towards me I think yes okay so season 6 thumbs down yep. yeah. yes do we have a quick little recap then well I imagine I can just take the audio from the last episode and just put it here pretty much I don't think it's changed anything is it nah the, the worst episode of this is that two-parter um, yeah, the, the rebel, flesh. the rebel flesh, and the almost people. Almost people. Is that the worst the Doctor Who has done so far? I think so for me. Yeah. Okay. And the best is probably Night Terrors. Yeah. Well, no, it's not. It's the girl who waited. Eddie, what's your favorite of the season? Night Terrors. 
Oh, I guess that makes it an objective opinion then. So on that wheel. On that note, we'll uh, wrap up, shall we? Uh, okay. um, I rue the day that I have to start season seven, but it's coming. Um, but yes, it's been a pleasure, lads. Yep. And uh, we'll speak again soon. Yes. All right then. Ciao, ciao. ciao, ciao. Bye bye. Thank you.